Hey guys, this is Anand Shimpy from Anantech.com. This is the official Anantech podcast. Uh, we are here on our eighth episode, and we've got a big one for you guys. Um, so joining us, as always, we have Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor. Hello, everyone. Um, we have Dr. Ian Cutris, senior motherboard editor. Hey. And uh, for the first time, uh, it took us eight episodes to get here, we have uh, Vivek Gowry, who's our... I guess you're all things mobile now. Like, what's you? You just kind of cover everything of interest to you, I guess. Yeah, I kind of just roam around in smartphones, tablets, laptops, anything. Yeah, and hopefully, I'm gonna probably try and rope you into helping us with uh, just immense amount of Windows 8 coverage that we're hopefully gonna be having here in the next few weeks. Oh yes, definitely. Um, cool. So we have a full house. We have a lot to talk about. Um, we want to start out with uh, some. Motherboard discussion, some Haswell stuff, move into Vivek just finished his review of the second generation uh, Razer Blade. Uh, we never talked about the new Kindles, so we want to talk about that. Uh, there's the T-Mobile acquisition. Uh, Vivek is a... Now, Vivek, you're a mechanical engineer or materials science major? I'm a mechanical engineer. Okay, so you're, you, you can, your engineering has actual results to it, not operating in like whatever weird space, the stuff I learned about. Um, no. So with you here, uh, we want to talk about anodization and and some of the like scuff stuff that's been happening around iphone 5 um and get your take on that uh and as well there's uh some new htc announcements and things like that that we'll get to um so to start out last week when we finished the podcast ian went on to, to kind of tell brian and i about some of the stuff he's working on uh which is actually focused around new efi bioses that have an impact on boot and post times is that right ian yeah. Yes. So, um, what's going but, on? So, um, j j just to just to recall what I've been doing in my testing. Um, ever since the Z seventy seven and uh, Ivy Ridge platform came out, people asked for boot time tests. So, um, I took my standard setup um, and measured the post times. So, this is taking the board processor at stock, uh, four sticks of memory. Uh, two graphics cards in USB devices um, and most boards generally at stock settings would boot anywhere sort of between 11 and 20 seconds that's that's from when you press the power button till the Windows logo starts spinning around um, with 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 the post what we're dealing with is initializing controllers on board making sure the memory settings are applicable, identifying all what's in the system, what's plugged in. Um, there's temperature sensors, fan sensors, um, USB 3 controllers, if there's additional USB 3 ports, these all take time to initialize, which all gets added into the post time. Um, we can disable a lot of what that is, um, and on some boards that can offer an 8 second uh, decrease in the uh, post time. Um, a lot of boards sort of stay near the same. Um, we had a couple of boards that sort of posted in sub 10 seconds, um, which was, they, they, they just seemed to bypass a lot of that stuff. Um, and we, we tend to, in the testing over these sort of 15, 16 Z77 boards that I've done, they're sort of, they seem to be sort of a graded scale, as in certain manufacturers would appear generally at the same sort of times. So in terms of fast booting boards, we had ASRock. EVGA um, and MSI, and on sort of the sort of 15 to 20 seconds, we'd have uh, Gigabyte and Asus, who we know of have 
a lot of additional controllers on board to manage with power and overclocking and all the other stuff that uh, those top tier motherboards seem to have. Um, then last month I came across the P8Z77V Premium. This is ASUS's high-end $450 motherboard um, and it came shipped to me with their new CAP BIOS. Um, they didn't tell me really what it was, they just said have a go. Um, so I was expecting sort of 18 second boot times with my setup um, and we saw 10 second boot times. Um, so they'd, they'd obviously done something inside their BIOS to um, either bypass their controllers or make their controllers recognize what the previous settings were and just auto initialize them, make sure nothing's changed. Um, so delving a bit more into this cat BIOS, um, it turns out that ideally it's for Windows 8, for fast booting and full Windows 8 functionality. Um, and then I got a call from MSI last week. Interestingly, um, they said, we we've got something new and exciting. Um, we'll ship you a board and a GPU. Both the motherboard and the GPU have updated BIOSes. Um, and you should see boot times to Windows in between two to four seconds. That obviously is standing back and going, well, hang on, turn on two to four seconds. Isn't that similar to hibernation? Um, I haven't received the equipment yet. Um, so if MSI, if MSI have got something in the works, then undoubtedly everybody else does. Um, whether it's restricted purely to... Um, Manufacturers who manufacture both the motherboards and graphics cards, I don't know yet. Um, I mean, that but... seems like horribly unbelievable, right? Four seconds from power on to Windows desktop? Is that what they're implying? Yeah. That's, that's what I was told over the phone. That's but not even boot if... to the. You're counting boot to when it, the Windows logo starts throbbing, though, I thought you said. Yeah, so my test is to when the Windows logo starts, because after that, then you're sort of dictated by software rather than hardware, which is technically not what I'm testing. But this is what I was told by MSI. Gotcha. Two, to four two to four seconds from power on to Windows. For Windows 8, um, if you're at Windows 7, it, I was told. This was a very brief sort of 60-second discussion about it, because um, the guy I was speaking to was actually um, on the roadside with a broken-down car. <laughs> okay, so he random. was under under duress, right? Like that's not a. I don't know if we should take those benchmarks validly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what comes in and how it's it works. It's very ironic. The call was quick, and we're discussing very quick boot times. That's but terrible. It, it, it essentially means, given the way that mon modern monitors work, you know, you press the start button, then your win your computer will boot into Windows quicker than your monitor initializes to show a screen. You know, I, I wanted to test that back when I was doing this, back when I was displays editor, is that that was always my biggest, I couldn't care less, well, I could, I, I do care about the color thing, but um, the performance getting into whether I could even see the BIOS post, that was always just ridiculous, and I wanted to measure it. Yes, um, with my post times, I use one of the cheap Korean 27-inch monitors, um, and that, that thankfully shows... A little bit of the post and then the Windows start logo, so my timings can be fairly more accurate. You have the Achiva. I have the Cat Leap. Oh, weird! My my Cat Leap doesn't show my X58 EVGA BIOS. Like it just, I just see the Windows logo throbbing. 
So it also depends on uh, what graphics card you're using and the BIOS on the graphics card as well. This is what I was told. Interesting. Um, yeah. which, I want that updated then. Which, it it kind of makes sense that you have to have something additional on the graphics card um, to help with that. I mean, well, does um, anybody else do what I do and just like disable all the extra controllers that aren't used but get initialized? To um, make the post faster? Like, that's well, step one. When I first started doing this testing, that was the first thing that was mentioned in the comments. Can you, you know, do another set of tests with it stripped out of all the extra controllers? And for most boards, especially most of the high-end boards, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But if I take... I'm looking at my graph here. If I take the EVGA Z77 FTW board, um, normal post in 19.5 seconds, but a strict post in 11.2. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty big gain. Yeah, that is but, a really big gain. Um, I know that some of the Marvel controllers can take uh, an extra three, four, five seconds to initialize on top of the post sequence. Yeah, Take it's it. all their SATA stuff, and then they do their boot from Ethernet polling, and then just like all this stuff that I'm never going to use. The EVGA board was quite nice because it had an option, which was uh, uh, extreme overclockers option, which essentially took out all the uh, extra controllers. <laughs> No, that makes a lot of sense. So one thing I've always wondered about, actually, you know, we've been very, very focused about reducing post times um, on PCs. I'm curious, Brian, and, and actually Vivek, you too, how much does that matter, or, or just overall boot from, from scratch time, how much does that matter to you guys on the phone side? Mm. It's obviously, I don't know, it's much better than it used to be when I was testing RIM phones. <laughs> yeah, they, they <laughs> have like, like two take too long. Does yes. anybody remember Palm Pre? Like the boot time there, you can just like, like I got, I bought a Veer and then I turned it on. Like I, I, I bought a Veer like two months ago. I just like felt this strange need to buy a Veer and they're on Amazon really cheap. And I, the first thing I did when I powered it on, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. Cause it was like five minutes later. <laughs> like I went and like checked my mail, like cleaned up the kitchen just like sat on the couch, like mused about my life for a bit, came back and it was still booting. Reminds me of the HTC Hero. So I had to, phone. so I had to reset a uh, an HP touchpad, um, like oh god, factory reset it. <laughs> it took forever. Like it was like I could have reinstalled Windows on my on my laptop or desktop or even a netbook by that time. Well, so that's why I'm, I'm I, like, I, this always bothers me whenever I have to like actually reset a phone. I'm like, this is, this takes longer than my desktop. This is ridiculous. But uh, Brian, I'm curious about you. Does that matter at all to you? Oh yeah, definitely. It matters to me because I'm always popping the Sims in and out and you have to usually do a battery pull. Yeah. But I don't know. Most of the devices that I test these days, like the flagship Android phones, um, they're way under a minute. Like it's, it's a matter of seconds. I've never it's been but, a long time since I've been, like, this is unacceptably long. You know, so, like, RIM always had boot times that are minutes, like, yeah. and, and same with, and Palm never got the boot chain right, like, I wrote about this in one of the reviews, it's just, like, if you go look at, this has been very, fairly well documented, too, is that they just don't have, they never had the resources to get that under control. Like, so, they never fired their, I'm sorry, they never fired their, their timers right when you're booting the kernel, so it would just time out. All the steps were timeouts. So, um, when a phone is booting, what exactly is it initializing? 
Cause... Well, every everything. It's just like a PC. I mean, that's the thing. There's nothing. There's nothing well, different I, there. Uh, I, 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 I'm debating which has more to initialize, either a phone or a fully laden desktop. And well, see, the thing with the thing with the desktop is that it sounds like they're always searching for what's new. Like the Marvel controller is always trying to see, like, have they attached another serial ATA device? Yeah. Right. And it sounds like the optimization that they did is that they're just going to assume that it's unchanged. You know, like in the the fast boot you were just talking about, they just op- they just assume is it the same state? Sure. Oh. Then just boot. So on a phone, it's not like I'm going to be hot plugging drives ever. Most <laughs> of the t- I mean, like it's. You know what I'm saying? So that's the optimization they're able to do. Well, that's that's the thing. On a phone, none of the hardware changes every time. So the boot, when you ter- initialize everything, it should be fine. With um, When it comes down to certain controllers on PC space, it um, rather than it being sort of, is anything new, it's just a fixed initialization sequence, whether anything's new or nothing's changed. I think with this new fast booting stuff, there is the potential of either it's saying, Everything's the same, therefore every, you know everything can be up in four seconds, or it's doing a sort of semi-delayed tactic, whereby mm-hmm. it it lets you access to screen um, all the vital components, and then over the next twenty seconds, things like the network kick in, um, additional SATA controllers, hopefully if you're not booting from them, or or something similar like that. There's a, a million different ways that they could do this, but with a phone. What 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 are you going to change? The SIM card, the SD card. Well, again, they they do. There there is a, there's a thing in Android that basically boils down to it's similar to hibernation. They save the states. You know, I mean, personally, again, I don't think that. Android, so, so 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 is that a NAND speed that it's being delayed? That it's by? Lim- it's gated by probably like the most of the time they've done. I see really good optimizations for, like again, I've never, I can't think of a single time in the past even like three years that I've looked at an Android phone and thought, wow, I wish this booted faster. You know, like it was always the OEMs that just had problems in general that boots really slowly. And and again, I think it's just a function of there's nothing ever changing there. It's it's sort of it's fixed and it's not it's not mutable. You know, like there's um I can't remember the name of the setting in Android. I'm 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 spacing out on it. But this is a, a pretty common thing to ship turned on, and it, it makes boot faster, but has some issues with um, certain apps. Like, you'll see a setting that dictates this. On, on yeah, the, HTC, the rim, I think it's fast boot, right? It's just called fast boot or something. Well, there's fast boot, which is a protocol for... Um, shoot, what's it a protocol for? It's you know, like when you do ADB fast boot, it's a way to just like flash stuff over USB. That's one thing, but I think there is another thing that's fast boot as well. But um, yeah, I don't know. Tan- it's a tangential thing. I mean, I think your question, Ian, is that yeah, there's the it, optimization it, is because the phone is never changing. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get fully, you know, it isn't on by the time you get into the launcher. You know, like you can still be searching for Wi-Fi signals, still be boot, you know, finishing your baseband. But yeah, which still be... after 40 seconds from pressing the power button for a phone, I'd expect it all to be done by then. So I think yeah, part I mean, of what well, you're booting a PC. I think part of what you're seeing is one you touched on it. A lot of these phones use like bargain basement pricing eMMC controllers that are just terrible. Um, then there's the interface from eMMC to the SoC itself. Then there's the fact that 
a lot of these arm cores in the you know in the grand scheme of things just aren't very good right like they're just not fast yeah um so like i i I don't i mean it's it's the same thing right we've noticed the impact of cpu speed on pc boot times over the past 10 years Um, but but that's both that's booting from post to os yeah but in the phone we're talking about that as well right yeah oh yes so it's it's um i mean you, you have to look at it this way the the NAND in a phone is basically, what, like an order of magnitude slower than the SSD in a PC, right? Like, it's just, it's, I mean, it's even, it's even slower than a hard drive in, in most tests. Um, so there's just a ton of room for improvement there. And then just the, the cores suck. Like, they're just not good. Like, they, they, they've been getting better, which is great. Like, I'm glad we're moving forward, but we're still batting well below average, right? Like, it's just not, not acceptable at this point. Um, what's interesting to me is on the PC side, it sounds very much like this is a platform problem, right? Like that you, you mentioned MSI came to you and said, Hey, we've got a new BIOS with a video card with a new BIOS and the combination of the two can result in this like ultra fast boot time. And I think what we'll need to see if we really want to address this as a problem is kind of this holistic platform solution where Marvell and everyone who takes up space on a board that's going to have a role during post has to get together and say, look, you can't just waste five seconds doing whatever the hell you want to do, right? Like you have to, you, you're given 200 milliseconds, you do your work and then be done because we need to make things better. Um, it's, it's, um, I can't remember the, uh, the model that MSI told me. It may, have, it may have been a mid to low range, so there may not actually be any additional anything beyond the standard Intel chipset. Yeah. I mean, don't, it's don't quote me on that. It's it a Windows be. 8 thing, though. I mean, like the whole Windows, like everybody talks about, oh, I mean, we even talked about oh, Windows 8. Everybody's sort of just, you know, apprehensively waiting for it. But the real good Windows 8 things are stuff like this emphasis on making the making the desktop and the PC space more like a phone in regards to booting, in regards to resources, in regards to power, in regards to standby, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the 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 thing is, you're going to see this mostly on new systems because I don't think a lot of people will be quite comfortable updating a BIOS of a current graphics card in their machine. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, which is like, unfortunate. The, 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 the utilities are there, but they're they're not easy utilities to use. Yeah, at the same time, I would update my 680 BIOS if I could get a couple seconds shaved off and maybe see. The you know like post flyby on the cat leap you know I would I would be I would do that yeah in a second. Maybe, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask because I spend most of my time in sleep or hibernate. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mean what? you spend most of your personal time in sleep or hibernate, or with the computer in sleep or hibernate? Both. Okay. Both. <laughs> the, 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 the only time I'm I end up turning machines off is if I need to update hardware, or if I'm doing overclock testing. The only time I turn everything off is for the weekly podcast so that there's no background noise. <laughs> I'm constantly turning things, because I'm always plugging in a different CPU or like a PCIe SSD or something. Like, it's just, uh, I remember the first time um, Intel told me when they first did, what was it, Pentium 4 Extreme Edition? Um, they brought me into this hotel room and they're like, oh, we have something special to show you. And they showed me, you know, Pentium 4 Extreme Edition. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. 
And there were a bunch of Intel engineers in the room. And I remember asking one of them, I'm like, hey, you know, I got a question for you. Um, what's the mean time between failures on your socket? Because, you know, I, I you know, must swap it in and out, I don't know, maybe 100 times a month. And uh, at that point, I think I was just doing a lot of CPU testing. Um, and the number they gave me was really low, right? Like it was in the like 12 to 20 range. Um, and I always wonder now whether I'm just hitting MTBF on insertions whenever I have like a funky problem with one of my test platforms. Was that ZIF or LGA though? That, I, you know, I you don't the, remember. Wasn't that the first LGA socket? By the, that the, time? The, the, the pins were on the processor, yeah. Yeah, I think the first Pentium 4 Extreme Edition, was that? I, I honestly, I don't remember. I thought um, that was LGA 775 by that yeah, time. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. But, um, oh, actually, yeah, no, you're right. I think LGA should be a bit better. I mean, that's sort of, that's the MOBO, I've, you know, that's their problem. I, uh, <laughs> I've, I've used processors, you know, in testing and in overclocking repeatedly in and out of boards, probably in triple figures for some of the processors that I have. I've never come across issues. See, I always have the issue where, uh, you know, a motherboard that's been my test platform for like two years, I dust it off and try to use it for something normal. Like, hey, this is just going to go into a machine now. And it just has the most ridiculous problems at that point. Like, even though it's been, it has run Sysmark for years, I put it in a normal system, you know, after being idle for a few months. And then it's just, it's shot to hell. It's like horrible. Um, and, and I always kind of blame that on, well, I must've just tripped up MTBF on something. Hmm. Do you wear, you, do you believe in the static demon? I, I do believe in the static demon. Um, oh, I, so do you wear a wrist strap? Rarely, rarely. It's interesting. <laughs> what about status side? Do you have status side? I don't have status side. Um, I wear the strap if it's something that I can't easily get a replacement of. Right. So like, uh, if I were to get a Haswell platform right now, I would take lots of precautions. If someone sends me a Lano motherboard and they're like, run five numbers <laughs> on it, I just, I don't care. <laughs> so I used to be the ESD officer at a place that did semiconductor processing. And I have to admit, I don't believe in the static bad guy for really? the right things. Unless it's... you're dealing with tiny, tiny, I mean, like, what is... I could go on for it, but I just, yeah, for most things, it's okay. The, the hardware I play with for overclocking means that everything just gets thrown around. Well, not thrown, but... You I'm should not... wear a gown. That would be awesome, like, dress wear. Like, ES <laughs> I, used to, I used to have to wear an ESD-safe, like, gown every day. With footies you and should, everything? You should put that on. No, not with footies. No, it was just, like, a gown, you know, with, like, basically was... conductive elements sewn into the fabric. Yeah. And like metal ties, and then you would plug yourself into the into the table, and the table was ESD safe. The chair was ESD safe. We had an ESD safe trash can, which doesn't make sense if you think about it, but it was hilarious. Uh, I've and, got um, I've got a tiger suit, but they're normally pajamas. Ah, okay. <laughs> Probably create more static. <laughs> um. So the other thing that happened in the PC space is I finally a week late published. Uh, the Haswell article, which I, I guess has everyone read it by now, or you can just pretend you read it because I, I know I read it was it. long. I read it. <laughs> uh, is it. I woke up at nine o'clock and half nine. I was still reading. That's good. I appreciate that. Um, I, I think we've already discussed Haswell kind of to death at this point. Um, I, I don't know if any of you guys had anything you wanted to add or discuss on the podcast regarding it. 
Um, the main issue I have, um, given what you said, all in the article, it all, all boils down to me for the to the uh, five to fifteen percent performance increase. Um, Intel will want people to move from Sandy Bridge, and if all you get is five to fifteen percent, I don't think they will. That makes sense. So the one thing that never added up to me is if this like embedded DRAM option is going to be an option uh, or, or can also be accessed by the CPU. Five to 15% seems rather small. Um, yes. But I, I just, I don't know specifics, right? Like even, even the five to 15%, that's not officially disclosed by Intel yet, as is the embedded DRAM and stuff like that. Um, and I, I even saw on, on Twitter, some people were saying, hey, five to 15% for a talk isn't that impressive. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm just jaded. I, I felt like, you know, if you talk five to fifteen percent, you know, overall performance improvement, let's say ten percent on average, um, potentially a lot higher if you got FMA apps or some of the crypto stuff that they're doing. Um, I think that's reasonable when you couple it with just the insane amount of uh, improvements on the power side. Um, but that's I, what I, I was going to say. That's the big exciting part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously for ultra mobile, it's super exciting um, if they can really pull off. Uh, this you know greater than 20x 20x reduction in in idle power um vivek when i the one thing that was going through my mind is you keep when when you told me that you were doing like the ipad as a notebook experiment and you talked about how it's just you know you could see that you have 50 percent battery life left on the ipad and that was still going to last you you know more than just the rest of the day versus you know just a couple of hours and this idea of being able to have that in a real like beefy notebook as well is just really compelling to me as far as i'm concerned yeah no i mean well because i saw that uh, a couple of people were saying that they were pretty disappointed by the performance thing uh the five to fifteen percent and i was like shouldn't it be about performance per watt kind of thing right especially with the idle um because no, no, no. what no, not if you're a performance hound <laughs> Okay. And, so, and so technically, if, idle perform idle power improvements don't factor into performance per watt, right? That that's just more energy over time, because um, your performance when idle is zero, anyways. Right. Oh. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Sorry, I was thinking. And, about and it Intel wrong. didn't actually talk about active power. Um, so I, I've seen what the final TDPs are for Haswell. The TDPs do go up versus Ivy Bridge. Um, not not talking about the ten watt stuff. Um, they do go up, and and given you know 2x floating point throughput and all of the additional alus that are there and like execution units um active power is definitely gonna be higher um i i don't know if this means we're gonna get like sandy bridge style notebooks where it's just you know kind of burning your lap or if it'll be worse <laughs> or if it'll be somewhere in between but like that's uh the idle stuff's definitely gonna improve but you know worst case active power is definitely going up I mean, so uh, it's just the same story again, more dynamic range. <laughs> yes. No, it's unfortunate. Like, that's just what it is now, right? Like, we're the days of you being able to get everything have been over for quite a while, right? Now it's um, improving power and performance characteristics in certain environments. Um, and, and really, I don't just see what to... there's a there's no problem with that. I don't think 10 to 15 is worth um, complaining about. I guess people, you know, people look at, uh, so if we look at all the talks, right? So Conroe, Nehalem, Sandy Bridge, and then Haswell. Conroe was, what, 20 to 50% or 20 to 40%, um, but that's because Penning 4 was really bad. 
um, Nehalem was pretty small, right? Nehalem was, uh, I think we said zero to 40%. Um, and the 40% gains were because of hyperthreading or, or what have you. Um, Sandy Bridge was about 20-ish on average. Um, so depending on how you look at it, it could be in line with what we've seen from Intel talks in the past, or maybe a little bit on the low side. I guess the proof will be in the pudding, uh, as in how it feels at the end of the day. So the other well, thing I heard is that um, Haswell ramp is going to be kind of slow. Uh, you know, we saw Ivy Bridge, everyone looked at it and said, hey, this is, you know, this is clearly a mobile-focused part. Um, Haswell's going to be very mobile-focused. And I've heard the, the desktop ramp numbers for, for Q2 next year are very uh, conservative. So I, I think Ivy Bridge is actually going to have a, a longer lifespan than, than we originally thought. Sorry, what do you mean by a ramp? As in releasing certain parts first? Um, so ramp in terms of percentage of Intel's total shipments per quarter. Right. Um, right. So mm. that's, that's, uh, that's always the metric you look at when, when how quick you look at how quickly Intel's pushing out a new processor architecture. Um, how quickly does it get to like 25% of all CPU shipments or 50 or, you know, close to hundred percent or whatever. Um, and, and I'm hearing low single digits in, in Haswell desktops, uh, during the quarter of its launch. Um, and you know, a little bit of improvement later, but it's, it's really more of like a late Q3, Q4 thing before we start seeing significant volume, uh, move to Haswell in, in kind of traditional they've, form factors. They've still got a year to be able to manage the stocks as, as, and when they want to release it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that's the other thing that like, I have to keep reminding myself. Um, and I kind of hinted at this in the conclusion, right? That. Intel is talking in great detail, like number of execution ports and size of UOP caches, like all of this stuff about an architecture that's not going to ship for nine months. And Brian, you and I have to like beg for details in any other chip that we cover in the mobile space. Yeah, right. I mean, right? so people, yeah, I think, yeah, people in the PC space are spoiled. That's what, <laughs> that's what I would say. Most of what I, most of what we encounter is either um just through digging or asking that one person who knows or you know like samsung doesn't even have a website with most of these details you have to wait no. until consolidation yeah well, it's, and even it's... then we'll see you know like i think you know like we've gotten a lot out of qualcomm they're pretty comfortable dealing with us and talking about details but even then there are things we still like that you and i know that we still can't talk about, and everybody's. Oh, it's never going to be made public. A function of the just how fast it's evolving and competitive, the landscape is. I mean, the amount of stuff you have to physically dig to find out is insane. Because, like, even with AMD, I can just like fire off an email and I'll get an answer. But Brian's like God, slaving over in a corner, like trying to devise ways to hack firmware to understand what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's I'm okay with that, and it's you know it's fun. I I enjoy that sort of stuff, but yeah, I, w I wish I could just send an email. I mean, we're not there yet, right? I don't want to. It's not. It's no. There's no one to blame. It's just we're not there yet, and I think there's a lot of pushback still um, with people sort of not recognizing that people want to shop for a phone like that. Yeah, you know, or or at least analyze slash look at it that way i don't know why there is but it's not like more knowledge is going to be worse yes you know and i don't think your average consumer is going to go in and buy 
a phone with an Intel sticker or a Qualcomm sticker still, but it's it's still there. So we'll see. Um, so before we move on, any other questions or thoughts on Haswell? Why isn't it here yet? Why isn't it? I mean, the Ivy Bridge just launched, right? <laughs> they have to... Yeah, yeah I, still, I still don't have now. an Ivy Bridge, right? Yeah, I'm exactly. still on You, you sent one guys. just now. Oh my god. Well, I'm on <laughs> Golf Town on the... See, I want my, like, 10-core. Why can't I have my 10-core? So I think your 10-core... No, so the 10-core Ivy Bridge EX for servers is going to be 10-cores, right? Um, um, I, I, yeah. I have a couple of the 8-core Sandy Bridge Xeons. Okay, so, so yeah, I want that. But they don't overclock, so I'm not happy. Well, I don't really <laughs> care about like how far I can push it overclocking. I just want it. You you just want to see Task Manager having yeah, sixteen or thirty two of those little bars going up and down. Absolutely. But the the because they're Xeon parts, the you know you're two and a half thousand dollars each. <laughs> well, unless I can like somehow snag a review unit or just like I don't know come up with a good excuse for why I need one. Yeah, for obvious phone testing. Engineering samples. Yeah, you know, for running the Android emulator. God, or, that thing or is you slow. Can, obviously, you can always test one of those. I, I don't know if you saw this from, I'm sure you did the, the day three of IDF where they talked about the um, uh, virtualized uh, base stations. Yes, that's a big thing. That's awesome, too. I, I'm, that stuff is so exciting. I wish we, I mean, talk about a market that yeah, like we think the SOC and the phone space is hard to get info on. <laughs> I mean, I challenge you to go find what's in a base station. Yeah. Right? Like you can't, I mean, we know what's in a base station. It's just a lot of ARM cores and then just like tons of DSP. And, you know, sometimes you'll see Xeons and then they're just running software that Alcatel slash, you know, Air, this is the other thing. It's all software defined radio. Yeah. So you see these like people are like, oh no, are they gonna have to change the X or Y? No, it's software defined. Come on, this is twenty twelve. <laughs> but yeah, so that's just, like tons of cores. So I want my tons of cores. Um so so for people who didn't follow, the idea there is instead of having like all of this kind of custom proprietary hardware and your your cell towers or cell base stations, um you would virtualize the software and run it on basically just Xeons in a data center. Um, and then reduce the amount of kind of on-site hardware that you have, put all of that in data centers, and then have them load balance across all of your cell sites, right? So now if you have uh, one cell site that's, let's say, active during half the day and really idle during the other half, and you've got another cell site 300 miles somewhere else uh, that has the kind of opposite usage, you can now have one server that kind of handles everything and, and the end users never really notice. Uh, and this was a big deal. I think they had China Mobile on stage uh, where they were just talking about deploying this in, in China and how it's just such a big deal because they have so many uh, mobile phone users there. It's a, it's a really awesome optimization technique too because then you just send the IQ data, I believe. That's what the, I believe they have the transceiver still at the cell site and then they give they just literally send IQ data over fiber and then it's, that shows up at your um, you know, your base station thing you know your virtualized instance isn't I mean, latency this is pretty common issue. no i mean you're going to incur that latency anyways right like there's well, no, no free there's no free gains here well, yeah no just send sending all this data back and forth over fiber i mean you're limited by the speed of light so 
No, well, but you're, you're limited you're, by the speed of light, but you're also limited by the process. Like the electrical processing is always going to be more than just raw propagation. And then in this case, it's probably even lower because there are interfaces between the node, you know, base stations or enode beads, enode bees. And if you're talking to a box next to you or in inside of a VM, so like, what's the network interface look like? It's just literally the VM talking to the another VM. It's probably going to be even lower as opposed to I'm going to have to talk out over this microwave backhaul link or go talk across, you know, Ethernet or like a local ring fiber to the other enode B. Like when you're doing a handover, like imagine a handover, I have to pass all the state table information. Like this is a big thing. I don't think people appreciate in, in, in GSM, WCDMA, and LTE. It's, it's um, all the state table stuff is done on the base station as opposed to like the US way of doing things with CDMA, which is like, it's just a router. Like I just ask for things and I get them. You know, whereas in WCDMA, like the phone is just sort of this accessory, and and all the all the thinking is done on the network. Like, when am I going to hand over? So yeah, putting all that stuff in a data center is a, just a huge, like, awesome strategy. And the other benefit is obviously now you move. I mean, because obviously Intel wants to put this on Xeons, which are expensive, but I'm guessing that they end up being those platforms end up being a lot cheaper than the kind of proprietary custom hardware that you get from everyone that supplies into the base station space. Well, what was it that TI was saying? They have like 90% market share in this space. They have like just a million, a million A15s or previously was like a million A9s and then DSPs. Interesting. Um, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, right? Like it's just when you can switch to commodity PC hardware uh, that there's already tons of that exist, uh, I feel like that always does wonders for cost. Oh, sure. Yeah, I don't doubt that for a second. Um, I read an interesting article way back. It's a couple of years old now. Um, the advantages of improving hardware versus hiring programmers to improve efficiency. It basically said, stage one, throw better hardware at it. If that doesn't work, stage two, hire programmers. I mean, that's totally how we ended up in this whole mess we're in today, right? Where that's all we did. We just threw better hardware at the problem for 20 years. And then we ended up with like a really inefficient hardware stack and then really inefficient OSs on top of that. And that's why we have this, you know, kind of ARM mobile OS resurgence that happened. Um, and, and that's why everyone, you know, Intel on the architecture side and Microsoft on the OS side have been kind of kind of like backtracking and, and adding in efficiency and, and a focus on things that they honestly just didn't focus on for so long. Um, well, so, I was like, so, how many cycles does it take to, from clicking the start button to make, a, make the start menu appear? Was oh, it on the order of like thousands? Oh, way more than that, right? It was, yeah. it was a ridiculous number of instructions just to yeah. like have the start menu open up. Um, so that's how bloated this whole... We'll just throw more hardware at it indefinitely thing has has gotten us. Yeah. And now, unfortunately, I'm afraid we're just going to correct in the wrong direction, right? Where we just go, yeah, everything's good enough. That's fine. Let's just focus on software. Um, but I guess that's Yeah, but how- I mean, that's a, if that's the optimization for a while, then when we start throwing more hardware at it, it's going to be that much better. That's true. Flip-flop or a TikTok. Wait, <laughs> somebody already does that. <laughs> or just, I mean, that's the problem with pendulum swings, right? I just... I don't like the swing part. I like the nice, happy part in the middle. Um, 
so last thing we want to talk about on the PC side is, Vivek, you just finished up the second-gen Razer Blade notebook review. Um, how did that go? Actually, I haven't... I was in Haswell land all this week, so I, I haven't even looked at um, what what your final take was on it. Yeah, so basically it's it's very similar on the outside to the to the first blade. Um, they just really significantly uh, upgraded the internals. Like the the first generation blade was, they called it a gaming notebook, but it it had a dual core. It didn't have a GTX class GPU. It was it was not fast. Um, or it wasn't as fast as, as it should have been considering they priced it at 2800 or something. It was like, it was very near $3,000 and they were, they were like, yeah, it's a, it's the world's first gaming notebook. And it was like a, a dual core. And just like, we were like, come on guys, like, yes, it's beautiful, but no, come on. Um, the second gen gets, uh, you know, with Ivy Bridge and Kepler, they just, uh, went with a 35 watt quad and uh, GTX 660M, so you know it's just significantly more competitive internals, and they dropped the price too. So, um, what's what is the price at now? It's now 2500, which okay is still expensive, but it's you know it's within the same range as like uh, an M17X, well loaded like an Alienware, um, is right around there. Uh, you know, like the 2000 to 2500 range, uh, depending on what GPU you want. The only problem is now the GTX 660 is, it's almost the same as the GT 550M, right? So like they just got stuck in the wrong N- NVIDIA cycle. Um, NVIDIA went Kepler up to 660 and then for the 680. Um, and only this week have they kind of released uh the mid high end um Kepler mobile parts with like the GTX 670 and 675MX um so this one's kind of it's it's on the entry level of of gaming range performance um at least for, in terms of what we expect from from 17 inch systems but it's I guess got the the style and the form factor that it kind of justifies the the price tag uh, a lot more than the last one did. Interesting. So it's it's still the um, if you care about the kind of tangibles um, with your notebook and the display is good on it. I'm assuming. Yes, uh, it's not an IPS display, but it's uh, it's an AUO um, 17.3 inch 1080p uh, contrast ratio ended up being just about 800 is to one and the color gamut was essentially srgb so it was it's pretty much as good as you can get without going for an ips panel okay um would you buy it would you recommend this thing yes um if like if you're looking for you know out and out performance you know you have to go with something with a with a gtx 680m right like there's there's no other options there but so, yeah, I'm looking at some of the gaming benchmarks, and it seems that 1080, um, it struggles to get 60 frames a second on, especially a lot of the newer titles in like the past 12, 24 months. Yes, um, yeah, it definitely so it didn't get anywhere near 60 3. on most of it. Um, I think because 
we were like we were talking i was talking in like the 30 range i think it on enthusiast level like at 1080p it was easily 30 on everything except for battlefield 3 if i remember right um, yeah it really struggled there yeah and see i'm used to testing processor graphics right you guys are talking about numbers that i never see anymore <laughs> like I, it's just if it's above uh, 13 by 7 and you know getting more than maybe 20 frames a second at high quality settings i'm just blown away like that's just amazing performance to me like i guess the is it I, weird that the most exciting thing about this for me is that they put the trackpad to the right of the keyboard which is the way it should be yeah no and it's, it's got that awesome lcd under it like for gaming it should be to the right it should not be underneath no it's great and actually just in day-to-day -day use it's so much more natural than having it underneath the the keyboard yeah. it's 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 mind-blowing how how usable that is um because otherwise you have to sit far behind the notebook to like and you get this weird thing where one arm yeah you're like chicken winging your laptop like <laughs> no. one arm is really canted the other one isn't but here's the thing oh. if you're not used to it you really like jared absolutely hates the the mouse layout he's like this is senseless and i'm like no that's See, for me just looking at it this looks perfect yeah, yeah exactly it's that's that's the thing about the blade even though like new like by the numbers it's it's never going to be kind of better than than you know the clevos or the alienwares it's just nicer to use also it only weighs six and a half pounds so i actually want to carry it right like it's it's in the range where yeah that's that's good enough i'll carry that Whereas the no, seems like the, they, the... they nailed what they're good at you're saying i mean like the keyboard looks awesome the, the mouse looks awesome the the chassis looks awesome yeah does, no. it, does that weight include the power supply power supply adds another three quarters of a pound the power supply is actually really really small um it's smaller than most of it's smaller than my it's, it's, yeah it's coping it's coping with what 95 watts or 60 because the process is 35 it's it's 120 watt psu uh or 120 watt ac adapter um and i think the system was uh the CPU is 35, the GPU was 45, and I think it was topping out at close to 100 and 105 maybe, a little bit less. If you're, if you're really hitting uh, CPU and GPU, it uh, does not charge quickly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it doesn't do still... like the MacBook and then just draw from battery and lie to you about it? Uh, no, it does not do that. That, that I actually ah. checked to confirm. It does not do that. <laughs> That's good. I love when mine does that. <laughs> Dude, that's Sandy Bridge, man. It's a, I, I'm still shocked that you can cram nearly a billion transistors of you know, very high-performing silicon into some of the chassis that, that these go into. Um, yeah, oh, that's, sure. That's I mean, but no, my complaint is I want a bigger Apple... I want bigger power supply, like they just didn't spec it out right. Yes. I what, is, what is the Apple... Uh, part, like, what... What's the wattage on that? that I believe a, it's 65, or maybe 65? it's 90, I'm sorry. 95 okay. watt, 90 watts. 90 sounds more right. I think mine was a 65. I had a 13-inch, though, so I never had any issues. Maybe it's 95. Don't quote me on it. I don't want to get a bunch of emails saying I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> like, this is me just, like, off the cuff. <laughs> so I think everyone should be writing emails to Brian right now as you hear this. <laughs> I already started. Like, this is something I should have known. Oh, it's 85. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
which is okay. clearly not enough because like it'll just draw like the PMIC will just draw from the battery you know like you'll see not charging and then the number going down when I'm encoding videos this is why I hate videos this is, <laughs> this is like why I don't do videos and then it just it just is going down it's just like chewing through my battery the like, solution would be for QuickSync support to be universal but of course that's apparently too much to ask yeah, my the pixels look too different from the the. Well, I like that section in the Haswell thing where you were like, apparently it'll take another generation before we get to x86 quality video encode. Yeah. You know? So the problem is, I don't mean to sidetrack, but that was interesting. Well, because there's a bunch of stuff that I can't say publicly, but it's my understanding that we are not going to get a lot of the open source support for quick sync like stuff until broadwell um because it which, doesn't meet their quality standards I, I i don't know i mean that's that's uh uh that's entirely up to like the folks working on the projects to kind of comment on but Weird. uh and and i'm really upset about it because and i told intel this i'm like you can't just keep telling me to buy another one and it's going to get better right like it's the feature has been here since 2011 you can't tell me to wait to 2014 for it to be good enough where I'm actually going to see it used in applications that aren't made by Cyberlink, right? Like, yeah, I, and I they just... keep, they keep revving it so quickly that I don't know what, I don't know what things are anymore. <laughs> I mean, you know? it's, it's, I am, I'm, I'm glad that we're seeing iterative improvements. Like that was one of the, the takeaways from looking at Haswell in that even if you complain about the five to 15% gains um, in single thread performance, you know what, if that's what they're guaranteeing this year, and you see it again, you know, maybe you see 5 to 10 next year, and then another 5 to 15 the year after that, you'll look back, you know, over the past three or four years, and you'll see actually, you know, more evolutionary or revolutionary, like, performance improvements. Um, and that's one of the reasons Intel is where it is today in the x86 CPU space. Uh, and it's, it's good to see that they're doing the same thing with QuickSync, right? Like, they just make it faster every generation. Um, my big thing is, I, they're Intel, you know, they bought McAfee, they can get... <laughs> They can get ISVs to use this, uh, but it's just not happening. And I still haven't found it in Mountain Lion. I, I, I stopped looking. I don't, I don't even know if, it's, if anyone else has found it at this point. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is. You know, like, I think there are a lot of people who spend a lot of too much time worrying about just a, a very tiny difference in PSNR. Yes. You know, and the, the, the thing that blows my mind, too, is, you know, like, YouTube uses the oldest possible version of X264. So it looks like garbage. No, <laughs> no, it does. Like uh, YouTube X two six four is literally ancient because they wrote it one time to just like scale really well over what they had. Yeah, and it's just it's been this immutable object that looks like garbage ever since. And that's the you know thing, what they like... should do is just go to X two six four and be like just optimize all your SIMD or just like here's some handwritten assembly that's great with AVX. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, and, and we've seen kind of uh, like AMD passed around uh, AVX builds of, um, of X264, and, and there were some, you know, improvements in performance there. I, I just like the whole, you know, you still have 0 to 10% CPU utilization while you're encoding at 400 frames a second thing. Like, that's very mm -hmm. nice. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, this, I can rant I about I didn't mean to sidetrack Vivek no, off of the razor blade. <laughs> so razor blade sounds cool. Um, any other thoughts or, or conclusions from your perspective, Vivek, on it? 
I'm, if you're looking for a gaming notebook that looks good and is still portable, I mean, it's the only 17-inch system right now that I'd consider portable now that the 17-inch MacBook Pro no longer exists. Because um, it's, it's really the only one that's less than 7 pounds now. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's pretty similar to the to the old one they fixed some stuff with uh like the lcd trackpad it actually works now um and it seems like it's kind of a status symbol too i would think i mean it's definitely a high-end like you bring this to a gaming land everybody's in a ooh and ah whereas (laughs) if you just like show up with i mean that's right i mean people like to buy things because the status symbol right you know no 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 no. we we laugh at that's we laugh at those people. <laughs> For a LAN, you have to bring a proper bulky machine. Sure, the, but okay. The, but if I go to a cafe and I whip out the razor blade, like <laughs> that's going to get some attention, right? Like people want attention. Yeah, you get attention. But here's the thing, right? The problem with using the razor blade at like a Starbucks is that the the laptop itself is physically larger it's than not the table fit you're on the little table. Yeah, because the tables are yeah, so small. Yeah, but that's awesome. Now. People always go to cafes to be seen, though. That's the thing, you know? Like, rarely is it I just want to go there and just... I mean, like, I go there just to work or write or get out of the office, but people like to be seen, I think. And if you showed up with one of these bad boys, people would be like, whoa, (laughs) what is that? So at various points in time... Sometimes probably not in a good way, but maybe. I was was using uh, both the Blade, the first Blade, and a 17-inch MacBook Pro... um, I was at doing the same some, time. Yeah, I was doing some coding assignments, and um, I went to meet up with a friend at Starbucks, and I was co- I was doing the coding on the on the 17 inch MacBook Pro, and then I was also doing some benchmarking on the Blade, and we took up like this entire we took up like two or three tables, right? Because I just <laughs> that is awesome. Because I had these array of laptops. It was it was awful. It was like there's this one guy who goes to the cafe I go to and he brings along a desktop LCD every time. So <laughs> I I keep I keep wanting to like outdo him and bring my exoskeleton PC and the Achieva and just like <laughs> plop it down there and just like yeah, I've got a full-on desktop, like just deal with it. Spend a day and stuff. You've seen the pictures of guys Not that bring Starbucks, iMacs, though. right? To Starbucks. I see that all the time. Like I say people go to cartel with just like their desktop or like I used to bring two notebooks sometimes, but no- nothing huge. Brian, so were two you... notebooks and six phones. Yeah, were you with me when someone brought an iMac to the press room at something? Yes, yeah, I was with you. That was at Mobile World Congress. Uh, or yeah, no, that was Mobile World Congress. I remember we like we were like, "Where's the press room? Let's go find it." Yeah, and it was like early morning. It was like six a.m. or something because the starts there are just like absurdly early like 8 a.m everything starts yeah and we went to the press room and it's like packed and just full of people like eating everything and there's this dude who's got his iMac in a box like he brought the box (laughs) like actually pretty smart like he probably shipped the box with the iMac inside and he just like got this out on the press room in the press room like hooked up and it was the 27 inch iMac right this wasn't the the small one yeah and i was like i don't understand like how is how is this working? Like, does he go to meetings with that? What's that? Is that like 20 pounds worth of kit? Wait. Yeah, he had everything. But had I mean, of course, more. it fits in the styrofoam. Like, it fits in the box. You it's know? Just, it's bizarre. So I don't maybe, get it. like, we're making fun of it, but maybe I'm just jealous. You know, like, this guy's <laughs> like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm bringing my, I'm bringing my iMac this time. 
Like I need, I need to encode my videos faster. <laughs> um, any, any last words on the PC side before we move into tablets and then phones? Yeah, um, the blade. It comes with the uh, mechanical hard drive plus sixty-four gig of solid-state storage in a caching SSD. If I was going to spend twenty-five hundred. On a gaming notebook, I'd probably want an SSD in there. So the first one came with a 256 gig SSD, and I actually kind of went off at uh, Razer CEO about this. I was like, why? Why would you do this, right? Because like, the SSD last time was, it was, it was good, right? Um, and so they went with a... He, he was like, yeah, what games these days are, are too big. We were getting users that were complaining about not being able to fit enough games on 256 gigs, which I actually kind of understood because our entire mobile gaming suite is a, a little bit over 100 gigs, right? So, and that's only like seven games. So if someone had like, you know, maybe like 12 games or something like that, that's, you know, 150 gigs almost. But I just didn't think that 500 gig mechanical hard drive plus caching was the way to go. Um, I thought that if they had gone for something like a 128 gig um, MSATA boot drive and then had like a 750 gig um, hard drive on the side as just like storage, that would have worked a lot better. So, so, so when you, when you buy this notebook, does it come with like Steam in, installed? I don't think that it doesn't come with anything except for Razer Synapse. Um, pre-installed like there's because the way to get around this i mean i'm i'm a steam user i have 180 odd games on steam so if the if 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 it actually came with steam installed with steam on the mechanical hard drive you just go okay i'll download those games and never worry about storage but you still have the ssd performance for booting in general os yeah i mean so it Boot performance actually went down by more than what I thought it would. Um, they're using uh, Envelo's Dataplex. It's not Intel's um, Smart Response caching scheme. So, uh, sorry. What? I mean, it's not. It's not just. It's just uh, SSD caching. Like, you know, well, there's no. no way to do it on this chipset, though. No, it doesn't matter. They should just stop. Like, the minute you're at the boardroom and you're like, oh, I think we should have SSD caching, you just need to be fired. Like, just leave the building and then go work in another industry. Because, I mean, I can maybe understand it if you're like, oh, I want to make a $600 notebook with an SSD in it. I understand. It's like 2500 bucks, dude. No, I don't think so. You need to put a 256 gig drive in there and then spend the $40 to put a mechanical drive in there. Um you know, for your mass Yeah, it should storage. be big enough to hold both, yeah. I would think, isn't it? Doesn't it? Don't they have the two bays? This doesn't have an optical drive. So well, this doesn't have You know what I was bays. looking this at? It only got... has two-stream Wi-Fi. They but put I in mean... the 6200 6, series Centrino card. Like, I want three-stream Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I, that's another good point, right? Like, that's, that is not a... a you, you can't concede on that. It's, I don't want any compromises there. But the other thing is, Vivek, you, you, you know, hit the nail on the, uh, the head here. Um, go MSATA, right? Like, well, they uh, did, it, right? It it has like the the caching drive is it's a sixty four gig MSATA, so yeah. Why not just make that bigger and then just install the OS on that and you know just have them configured as separate storage? I, exactly. It's already configured like like it's already hardware is already there. 
Why yeah. not just? No, no, no. Because I, I, I did this. I played with the um, the Asus UX32 VD, um, which is the kind of thicker, upgradable Ultrabook that they have for. Right, and, with dedicated uh, graphics, right? Yeah, with a with discrete GPU. And it's got SSD caching. Um, so it's got, I, I don't know, 24 gigs of, of NAND on board or, or something like that. And uh, the SSD caching software they use, actually, you can go into the cache and look at hit rates. And, you know, the hit Ooh, rates are like cool. 50, they're like 50%, man. Like, this, that's not good. <laughs> it's, it's half the time I still get a shitty experience, right? Like, it's not, I don't know, it's not okay by me at all. Um, and, and that's, like, fundamentally the issue with SSD caching, right? Like, you just, uh, they're not good caches. They're just not good caches. If you had a, uh, an L1 instruction cache with a 50% hit rate, that would be horrible. Right, like it's just, it's that's just a bad cash. Um, so I, I don't know that that upsets me. Um, yeah, I mean, I I went off. Uh, like I think I put in a solid three paragraphs describing why that wasn't good in my yeah. in my review, and I've told multiple people at Razor multiple times, including uh, Min, and Min kind of agreed with me, but then he was kind of like, yeah, and I was like. There's not that much of an argument you can make, right? Like it's Min, the CEO of Razor. His, yes. his response was, "Eh, <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines." Um, that's, we had that's a awesome. we had a longer discussion about it, but um, it essentially came down to just that's what how it happened. I guess I don't know. I, that's you, you, friends you don't, don't like, let friends deploy SSD. Where you don't have an SSD, right? There's yeah. not really a good reason for it. And I, I'm telling you, like this, if if uh, I know Christian's his review of the Samsung 840 using TLC NAND, like that's almost done. Um, I, I think that's the solution. To all of this, right? Like it's it's say goodbye to all the really bad SSD controllers. Say goodbye to SSD caching. If you're budget constrained, you'll just deploy a TLC based drive, um, and and you know you can back that up with some mechanical storage. Uh, anyone buying a $2,500 gaming notebook knows how to manage two different drive letters. Like, I don't, I don't think the simplicity I was going to say that, too. Yeah, there are, that argument is gone. Yeah. When even, you're talking about enthusiasts. I, even, even, like, normal folks, right? I see people, you know, some guy at the Genius Bar, like, trying to uh, deal with internal versus external storage. He gets it, right? This one's full. You got to put it somewhere else. Like, it's, people have closets and drawers. Like, they know how that works. Like you can't just you can't put everything in instead the same. of folders. It's like you put it in put your folder in this filing cabinet. Exactly right. Like well, people. What, what what you need is you need a device where it actually gets heavier the more stuff you have on it. Okay, that's that'd be horrible. That no, I'm sorry. These analogies are just like I hope they never catch on. Um. So the other cool thing is I didn't actually get to mention this. Um. But uh, uh NGFF. The, the next generation SSD form factor, like that's actually a standard now. So that, that stupid gumstick proprietary thing that Apple and Asus and everyone keeps inventing, uh, that's actually going to be a, a standardized form factor that people will deploy, it comes in various sizes, they'll be interchangeable. Um, so, because MSAT is kind of limited, right? It's, it's kind of a silly form factor. It was modeled after uh, uh, mini PCIe cards. Um, but NGFF will actually bring, uh, you know, you, a usable is configurable. Is it PCIe number. or is it SATA? Um, NGFF is, I think it's I SATA it's PCIe, first, PCIe. right? 
Um, no, I don't. I don't think it's PCIe initially. Yeah. Okay. So so sorry. The the spec is, and this is where it's kind of stupid. Um, the spec supports either SATA, PCIe by two, or PCIe by four. Um, so obviously mm, today cool. it would all be SATA, but you know eventually you would go to PCIe. And there's also an opportunity to see it on desktop or motherboards. So, yeah, you'll see it on motherboards and the desktop. The thing is, on the desktop, I think everyone's going to go to SAT Express. Um, or, what is it, SFF8639. There's another uh, uh, spec standard thing for, for PCI Express-based SSDs. Um, but over the next two years, I think that's where high-end desktops will go. And then NGFF will bring a standardization in the no in the notebook space. Um, the 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 thing is, the if in the desktop space, the more sort of data you want to take over, um, PCI Express means you've got to have more pins on the CPU in order to be able to manage it. More lanes coming off. Um, and in actual fact, the the um X seventy nine refresh boards, the Gigabyte do a server board with eight SAS ports. Um, come off the uh, chipset itself um, and I had a discussion with them. They sent me a BIOS which um, allowed me to adjust the speed of those SES ports to use um, PCIe Express version 1, 2 or 3. Oh yeah, because they tested originally for stability and they just put it at the lowest one? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's Intel spec lowest because 8 SAS drives aren't really going to tax PCIe Express 1. But when you get into the high-end SATA drives, they're going to um, really going to pull some gigabits per second through. No, that's really See, cool. See, that's why I want PCIe, because the SATA is just a layer of, of abstraction at this point for me. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely coming, right? The issue is uh, how do you deal with backwards compatibility, right? So, like, that's a major concern because... Uh, at least with SATA Express, you're supposed to be able to still plug in a SATA drive, right? Like, or or vice versa, right? Like that 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 needs to be maintained. So there are a lot of concerns around that. Um, and the bigger issue is obviously there are not even any chipsets that we've seen on the roadmap yet with SATA Express support. So it's going to be I, realistically, it's going to be another year or two before before we see it, um, which is unfortunate. We see it through controller. Through, yes, through like an external controller is how you'll see it first before yeah. it gets integrated. Um, but I'm super excited. I'm just excited because uh, NGFF is like we're going to see standardization with these you know weird form factor SSDs and notebooks, which is awesome to me. Um, the thing I challenged Intel, I, I was sitting down with Dottie Perlmutter at IDF, and and you know we were talking about the lack of standardization here, uh, and I challenged him. I was like, look, one of the things that I don't want to give up is the ability to upgrade memory. Um, and I get that the SO DIM is, is it's too thick of a form factor, right? Like that can't make it as you kind of decrease Z height. So I was like, just come up with socketed ICs or something, you know, g give me the option of not having to just throw away my notebook in a couple of years, right? Like give it legs so that, you know, if someone wanted to, they could stick on, you know, eight DRAM devices or something and upgrade, you know, overall DRAM capacity. And his response was, well, do you think a lot of people would do that? And I don't know, right? Like, I don't necessarily have a good answer to that, but I feel like it's, it's something that I don't want to give up in, in pursuit of ultra mobility. Yeah. So I don't want to give that up either. 
if you could put something in like a micro SD card and it would instantly give you more DRAM. Well, so I'm not even talking about that, right? Like I get the the desire to solder it onto the motherboard, right? It, it's it's you want to decrease the height. It it makes a lot of sense. What I would even argue is I want a next gen SO dim form factor, right? So something that effectively adds minimal Z height. Um and, and that doesn't protrude beyond any of the other components. So what I was even thinking is you go to socketed DRAM devices, um, whereas today you buy like a, a an SODIM, like a physical SODIM PCB, you know, maybe you buy just like a bundle of eight DRAM devices that, that just have LGA or, or some other type of socket um, that you just plug them into on the motherboard. You don't have to worry about heat sinks or cooling or anything like that. They, they're all passive. Um, but but I want something that kind of gives me the best of both worlds. Um, I I don't know. It, it's he didn't seem too enthused about the idea. But I feel like there has to be a solution here. We've had so dims for what twelve years, thirteen years now more. Why not just move to the NGFF like format for you know memory, something like that. That could work as well, right? Like I, I the reason I said keep it on the motherboard is because people seem to already have wanted to do that, right? They're already like, hey, we're just going to stick this on the motherboard. So yeah. I, I want to, and asking them to, well, just come off the board again, I, I feel like they're just never going to do that. But if you can give them the best of both worlds, yes, you can still be on the motherboard. But if someone wants to, they can just pop these things off and, and pop on some faster or, or larger parts. So the, the problem with NGFF is how many pins have you got between the device and the board? 12? I could run the pins on the other side is what I'm saying, on the longer side. Right, because uh, with, with SODIM dealing with, uh, what, 204 pins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, Brian, you were saying run DRAM on the other side of NGFF. Yeah, I mean, uh, or just something like this form factor. Like, the problem, the problem with SODIM is that they put the devices on both sides, no? Is NGFF both sides or just the underside? Uh, it can, it can be Yeah, it can be both. I think the, the other thing is the geometry... It seems like everybody, the notebook OEMs, have sort of adopted independent, you know, each in their own independent scheme, a layout and a geometry that has a much, very tall aspect ratio. So probably that just fits in in whatever, you know, like CAD tool that they're using. They've done some optimization, and this is just like the ideal form factor. Yeah. So what I'm saying is if it, instead of these two, like you end up having to put two of these um, SODIMs inside of your average notebook, just move to like a single card like item that has the same weird aspect ratio as the you know ngff card format and then solve it that way like you know generally it looks like they just run them like parallel to where the battery is yeah so just no, stick, stick another one on the other side and then you get a long very long aspect ratio that runs across yeah that's true that's another like I, that could totally work, right? It would it would give you. And to Ian's point, you know, the trick is well, how do you get enough IOs on that narrow little connector? Um, obviously, like DDR is a parallel memory bus; it's it's not uh, as narrow as SATA is. But I feel like that's still a solvable problem, right? Um, yeah. Either way, I feel like no one's working on this problem, and and that bothers me. Um, well, don't forget mem- memory margins, especially for desktop PC markets, are so small. They are so you small. know what I heard? What I heard from Apple when I mouth I ran my mouth about why I didn't want a Retina MacBook Pro if it was ever going to be, um, here's a computer that you put in the trash when you're done with it or something breaks. Yeah. And he said that I talked with a PM about this, 
and he said that the reason that they had gone to solder it on DRAM is because the the mean time between failure and the failure rate is so low now that they can do this. That basically the only the reason that the only reason that they ever had SODIMs to begin with was because when they were fixing computers and things were failing, it was you know RAM was a common thing. And now the yields and the stability and the you know under level of understanding about like here are what the errors are going to look like and here how com- here's how common they are that now gets weighted into their you know their computation for what's you know what is our tolerance for this going to this is going to be a failure point is so low now that they're comfortable with it so it was never a function of upgradability like that was just an an unintended consequence interesting so yeah from from their point of view it was never we want people to upgrade the ram it was always well if you take it into the store, this is something they can do there as opposed to you need a whole new motherboard. So I found that interesting because I hadn't thought of that before. But, no, I hadn't and then either. I was like, I just, I just want the notebook even less now. I was like, <laughs> if that's your optimis, I was like, if that's your optimization, then that just makes me want it less. Like, <laughs> but that was just me speaking frankly. Like we're, you know, I wasn't being like pushy about it or anything. Yeah. But, I mean that is so. that is the one major concerning point about the the Retina MacBook Pro. Like to me at least is just the lack of upgradable memory, right? It's like what happens yeah, if I decide disposable. I want to? Like the the good thing is they're making it minimum 8 gigs, but then it's a $2300 computer, right? So if it didn't have 8 gigs of RAM anyways, it'd be a problem. But um like what happens if I want 16? right like it's just you don't you can't just scrap it it for that right yeah and that's why we need a new like a truly low profile small form factor removable dram standard um yeah and i think not necessarily so apple would use it but you know intel can push it on all of its other partners yeah and i definitely think that if it were to happen it would have to be on the board because nobody's going to go for another separate pcb type thing it's just because yeah i a lot of ultrabook manufacturers at this point are just soldering it on it's easier and cheaper and yeah you know yeah um so we we did our our hour on all the pc stuff uh i want to get to mobile a lot has happened there um we never really talked about the new kindles i know brian you got a, a paper white in what what are your that's right what do you think about the paperwhite? So, I mean, you kind of, like the context for this is that I was never satisfied with any of the previous Kindles, um, and especially not with their fifty dollar leather accessory like light case thing, you know. <laughs> and I've talked about this with other people, um, just like my dis- dissatisfaction with the illumination involved there. Uh, but I mean, of course, this is like colored by the fact that uh, I've I've done. I've worked in the optical engineering, like related illumination problems before. Like I've worked these out, and my, I was like, this is just mind blowing to me that they stuck an LED behind like a little like frosted plastic thing, and then sell it to you for fifty dollars, and it's like terrible, you know. Like the previous Kindles, you know, the case that you would buy, they had that like arm. Like the first one, like was like a ribbon cable on a plastic thing. That like they had the metal um, set up to go to a previous angle, you know, and then the new one was like it's on an arm that swings out, so it's always in the same position. 
So like literally this is like a 10 minute problem and some software that will do illumination for you, you know, like Fred or ASAP. And this is what they use to design car headlights and the like, like projector lamps in your fancy like Audis or Lamborghinis. I wish I had projector lamps because those are so cool. But anyways, <laughs> you just put in like, here's what I want to illuminate and out pops like a Fresnel lens that you can then go get like injection molded. And then stick that into your Kindle. So like it was always just like every time that I used the Kindle, I would think about this and it would just drive me into a white hot rage because <laughs> I had paid $50 for like the world's most uneven. Like it has one purpose and that purpose is to light my page evenly so that I can read it without my eyes adjusting while I'm going from left to right, you know, and up and down all the time. So that was never done right. And now it's done right in the paper white. Like it's... They finally they made a light pipe, and they have the LEDs at the bottom, and they they shoot they shoot you know light through, and then they have some light guides, and it actually works great. Like I'm I'm very pleased with it. Considering how uneven the previous ones were, this is like perfect. And um, so that's the long and short of it. And I always wanted to review the old Kindle, but it was just like it would have been terrible, and nobody from Amazon would have ever talked to me. <laughs> not that I ever got a review unit of any of the Kindles or not that I got a review unit this time because I just bought it. But um, I don't know. The fact that storage went down. So I'm talking about the Paperwhite. Like the Kindle Fire doesn't interest me at all. Um, personally, like I'm not interested in a forked Android thing that runs their weird web browser that we've shown time and time again does not deliver demonstrably better performance. Has anyone, um, by the way, has anyone done that test on the new one? No, of course not. Really? Of course not. Like, I don't know. No, nobody has. I don't know. So, I mean, you need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Somebody has. We have a guy. Did he get review units of them? Uh, I think James just, they just shipped or something. So he's going to have it soon. But can people buy these things yet? I don't don't even. Well, because I know that the nine inch isn't shipping until like uh, November sometime. Like it's supposed to deliver right before Thanksgiving, if I remember right. Um. I don't know about the 7-inch, though, off the top of my head. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know either. Like, again, honestly, I just couldn't care less. Just buy an Xs 7 unless you really need... <laughs> like, no, I, okay, I just so don't the, understand the Kindle the Fire HD, The 7-inch Kindle Fire HD is available right now. Okay. Um, and, and so no one has done this. No one has, like, seen if they've no, improved things. Of course things. not. I because uh, that was really frustrating i remember again like... of course not yeah <laughs> nobody i mean it's just like we'll just take them at their word of course it's got to be faster right more than they wouldn't it's... be doing this to to do anything nefarious you know <laughs> so here's a question did they update the and and uh, i i feel like an idiot i haven't followed this did they update the original kindle fires os as well no that is still running on gingerbread um really the, the new ones like they released this updated Kindle Fire, which is almost exactly the same as the Kindle Fire that we reviewed. Um, yeah. The only difference is that's, I think, a, like millimeters smaller. Uh, and it's the same thickness. Millimeters smaller, double the RAM, and it, it's got runs, new... it runs ICS, right? Like, and that's it. They just doubled the RAM and updated the OS, and they're now selling it as the 2012 Kindle Fire. Yeah, um, and it, it has a old one get a software update, no? Nope. Wow. Dude, that's I don't, terrible. Like, I that's don't think okay. the old one got a software update from the time that we reviewed it. 
Like there no, was, it didn't. It didn't. When, was, when we did our last performance test on it, yeah, right. I, that was the last time I updated it. I when we did the next seven review, I dusted it off. I'm like, oh, let me just update it. And there was no update. And I thought something was wrong. Like maybe I just broke something. So I Googled it, and of course that was the last update. And I was like, this is completely unacceptable. Yeah, because it was their whole acceptable big thing then. with. Right, like yeah, their whole thing with Silk was, oh, don't worry, it's going to get better, right? And, and yeah, that's for people, a lie. For people who who aren't familiar with it, their Silk browser, the whole idea was that they were going to do um, server side caching of resources, so that when you made a web request, uh, you would effectively get it served through the Amazon CDN, right, rather than directly from you know the web server you're talking to. And then they'd be able to kind of bundle up and do all the uh, individual requests together and, and you get it from one place at, at one low latency connection and it's going to be awesome. And it wasn't because no one has crappy Wi-Fi. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. The Wi-Fi would... And I even did it tethered over like AT&T 3G, right? And at the time, I think I was getting one or two megabit down. Uh, and it was still slower than, than loading directly from servers. So their whole promise was, oh, don't worry, this is going to get better. And it just never did, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, there was Silk, but Silk was like, you can live with that. My biggest problem was it just, it, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't, it didn't feel fast. It felt slow. And that So the reason fixed. I couldn't live with Silk is because they put time into that that they could have put into making your problems go away, which is making it smooth, adding GPU acceleration and, and uh, GPU-optimized drawing libraries, right? Like, that's that seemed like a, an insane trade-off. And the trade-off is purely made... Yeah, even made, Samsung could do that. Yeah. And, and the trade-off is purely made so, what, Amazon can data mine your browsing habits? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, not oh. like they weren't trying to sell you something every time you touch the device, right? Yeah. Like, I, it's just so easy to accidentally spend money while using a Kindle Fire. That's, like, that's why I couldn't take it. I was like, yeah, this is great, as... A $200 tablet, unfortunately. Really? I'm not... Well, what, what are you buying? Books or movies or music? <laughs> I, I don't want to buy anything. I don't want to... I don't want yeah, to... but you're saying, you're saying that you actually, you like, just, like, they sucker you into, like, no, oh, they, you need I, to buy like, this new I refrigerator. I didn't end up paying for anything. It's oh. just that if I wasn't paying attention, like, I was always very... Fra- I was paranoid while using it that Amazon was constantly trying to take my money, Right. <laughs> I don't want to be paranoid when I'm when I'm using a tablet, right? I just want to use it. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, no, I understand. Well, I mean, here's the other thing too: is that when they have access to that, it's like Amazon's big thing has always been how do we optimize what you're gonna buy? So we want to sell you things before you you need you know that you want them. You know, like for me, it's just like always like camera stuff and just like here are some really weird confused book things and like phones yeah they've been sending and, me a lot of email about laptops recently yeah so they can they can optimize this even better when they like here's what you're reading here's what you're watching maybe even here's what music you listen to like i know that i, I know that that's what's in the back of their mind is that just this is sort of like you need to keep this in mind with all these players is that more more data that goes into building like this huge I don't want to say dossier, but basically that's what it is. A view translates to more conversions and sale and selling things. And that's why I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm willing to accept that this is the ship has sailed with Google, you know, like it's, it's sailed, like wave goodbye. It's already happened, but I'm not going to let it happen to Amazon to me yet. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. I understand the prime part. I think that's a value add, 
I don't know. I'm willing to like let them know what I read all the time in terms of print books. So maybe they should be mildly like concerned or you know like know what I'm reading. But I don't know. I don't know. The illumination is so much better than one of the paperwhite. Like if you're gonna buy a Kindle by <laughs> to read books. See, and that's what's weird to me too is they have this double speak where they just like trash talk LCDs all the time. Like remember the thing where they're like, oh, the Nook is terrible. Like you don't want to read on an LCD or like the iPad is terrible. Like don't you don't want to read like any of this stuff. Remember? But then then they turn around and, like we're selling an LCD. Yeah, but then <laughs> right, like you can't have it both ways. Their, like their I'm platform sorry, with that's the LCDs not okay. is selling video though, right? Like they will actually give you a, a one month or three month uh, free trial to their video store um, if you if you buy a Kindle Fire or at least they used to, right? So it's like. Now, now they're not trying to sell you books. They're trying to sell you everything, magazines. So I, I'm curious what the long-term play is here, right? Like, <clears throat> so obviously Amazon's not content with you just buying a Nexus 7 and then using Amazon's video streaming, right? They want, they want the opportunity to present you their platform that's optimized for their services. Um, but the market's not going to accommodate all of this, right? The market's not going to accommodate... Uh, everyone who wants to sell you a video service coming out with their own device. What do you guys think happens long-term, right? Like the things that seem to always win are one universally great service that works across all devices. And if that's the end goal, I don't, I don't see room for a Kindle Fire. Neither do I. See, I, I don't think it makes any sense. Like they already have built the Android app. They've already built the iOS apps. Why do we need to compete in a space that we can't, that's not our main execution point? And I think that if you look at it, it all comes down to, I hate to say it, and I'm not, I know I'm going to get, I'm going to catch flack for it, but it comes down to um, Bezos wants to be Steve Jobs, right? Like there's this thing, this expectation that is there that he needs to live up to. And so we're just going to have a ton of products, right? And like, you could, you can take it one step further. Why do they need a phone, right? Like none of those ever work. Again, and the value and all these, all these different devices is the longevity and updates. Like, I don't buy anything if I don't know that I can't get an update. And at least on Android, like the carrier subsidized phones, you, you now are basically guaranteed to get at least one. If, if I can't even get one with the old Kindle Fire, why would I ever buy another one? And same yeah, with no, the technically normal you did Kindle. get one. It just wasn't a very good update. <laughs> it, wasn't, it was a point it, update, though. It's not yeah. a major platform update. Correct. That's what I'm saying. You need one major platform update. Like, they've never updated any of the old Kindles. You know, like, they, the, like the previous generation Kindle doesn't get the new Kindle software, which is wildly different. You know? Yeah, no, that's true. You, you don't see Netflix coming out with a tablet in order to sell you video. They're doing the thing where they're working with every sort of device out there in order to bring you an optimized app. So on your consoles, on your devices. So the original Kindle Fire to me, uh, and I agree with that, right? Like it, it makes sense because they don't need to. They already have a great platform. The original Kindle Fire to me addressed a problem that existed in the market at the time, which was you could, know, you could not get good hardware for $199. But that's no longer a problem, right? Like everyone has, I mean, you can effectively get the same SOC that you get in a $499 tablet in a $199 tablet, right? Like it's, that problem has been solved. So I feel like Amazon's role in the space as, you know, good guy Amazon shows up, forces price down, then just can step back and, and let the market you know, 
do its thing now. Um, I, I feel like that's what I was expecting, although that's that's a foolish expectation for any company. Do you, do you think that it's uh, it's somebody's child project inside the company and they want to see it? Well, it sells a ton <coughs> of Jeff units. Bezos. <coughs> Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, Sorry, I mean, but okay. that's, that's the obvious reality. So the Kindle Fire it sells a ton sold of units there. really well. Right? Yes. They had to make a follow-up. There's no questions that they were somehow just going to let it go. Right? And the thing is, let's let's be honest here. Um, the the device that would that would end all of this is if Microsoft had options at these price points, right? If there was a two ninety nine Windows RT tablet and a four ninety nine Windows eight RT LTE tablet, uh, then that like easily puts an end to all of this. But I don't. I I, just, I still think there's like a little bit of. Uh, room in the market for for someone to compete here um i I feel like no one has completely driven them out i think at the 199 price point uh nexus 7 does a great job but there's these still these two other price points 499 with lte and 299 without it that we don't have good alternatives in the market yet do you think the 499 with lte is just a bit crazy though i mean why why is that so expensive well and then the other question that i have is i want to know just give me an fcc id like i need to (laughs) i need to email our guy and because i want to know what they're talking about with we have like a million bands and we made our own lte thing and i really like that's the interesting that and the fact that it has two stream two stream i hate the term dual antenna two stream wi-fi yes um because i like i know exactly what what ti combo that is that is exciting to me. Like so, major props for that sort of stuff. Minus props for just like this is a huge mess. There are way too many Kindles. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think what's part of it on. is I, I remember talking to Arm uh, a few years back, and you know we were talking about how crazy things are getting and everyone trying different form factors and and so on and so forth. And and their viewpoint was. Uh, we don't see an end to consolidation, right? Where people kind of consolidate against clear form factors. Uh, there's just going to be this kind of gross expansion where everyone's trying new and different things. And I think that's exactly what Amazon's doing here with this entire Kindle Fire lineup. It's that, hey, we don't actually know what people want. So we're going to give them different discrete verticals that they can play in. And then we'll see what, what sticks. Uh, and they're they're reasonably well educated, right? Like so, so seven inch makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's very portable. Something closer to nine or ten inches makes sense, and and people seem to like cellularly uh, uh, LTE uh, tablets with cellular connectivity. So so that makes sense. And then you kind of have a product in each one of those spaces, and and then you see what what works. It's not free LTE though. Like no, you have to not. pay for it. They give yes. you they give you your one free like sample, one free whatever. Yeah. But then you you pay for it. That's just what I I don't know. I find that. Go, go, can't you just tether to your phone? What do you mean? Oh, you mean tether the tablet to your phone? Well, you're yeah. from the UK where it's like that's everybody does that. Here you have to pay extra. Like it's yeah. my data. There's a double <laughs> dipping. Literally, there's just a double dip because you're paying first for your data, and then you pay another fee to use it however you want. Yes. Whereas in the rest of the world, that's just like, hey, that's illegal. That's double dipping. But I mean, what? this is the same country that it's okay to charge for sending and receiving text messages and calls. So like double dipping is part of the DNA. Like that ship sailed, wave goodbye. Like all these <laughs> things, like the status quo, it's, it's just impossible to change. Yes. 
Uh, I, I don't pay to receive text messages. You're crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, man. I would. So, I, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. no um, that we we no longer have to pay for that if you do the new mobile family share plans. though, right. Like that's the tethering thing. Yes. Yeah. But right. I mean, that's that's just like literally that is just a strategy to get you on those. Yes. See, you see, all, all I'd want to do is set my mobile phone up as a Wi-Fi hotspot, connect the tablet to the phone, phone does the data. Well, that's what I want, too. That's why I only bought the, like, El Cheapo one. Like, I bought the cheapest possible Paperwhite. You know, it was, like, 119 Like, I don't even care about seeing ads. My brain has such a good filter, I don't even see ads. Like, you <laughs> could, I couldn't tell you what the last ad I saw was. No, somebody commented this to me one time, too, um, that they were like, hey, do you see that ad? And I was like, no, I, what, there were ads there? Like, I just <laughs> filter it out. Like, it's just completely filtered. You just, your brain comes built in with ad block. Basically, it's crazy, though. If you think about this new generation, I'm sure that they're going to have even better filtering. Yeah, that's true. They, you know what, the other thing the, the, about, about the Paperwhite that's um, a negative, I should note, is that they have storage from 4 gigs to 2, and they removed the audio playback functionality. So there's, even though the audio playback was below atrocious, <laughs> like, like, no, I'm not even joking. Like, I, I see a lot of terrible sound, um, well, I hear a lot of terrible sound implementations on phones while I'm testing them. Even though we don't always talk about it, I always listen to songs that I know on my IEMs, the 535 Shures. And so I've heard a lot of just like terrible garbage, just things that are unimaginable. But the previous generation Kindle, Kindle in my mind, stands out as the worst. But admittedly, it was an experimental feature. But so apparently they, they finally just gave up. Like they were just like, yeah, the audio is so garbage. We're not even going to include it as like an extra maybe it works feature. So that's gone <laughs> along with the extra storage. But I don't know. I'm going to write it up. Like, I think this is huge. The fact that they added illumination is great. And that it, you know, the display is higher res too. Like, it actually is much better. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't actually even seen one in person. Um, I need to do oh, that. Oh, it's, it's pretty. It's really pretty. Like, major props for making this the right way, finally. Have you used the <laughs> illuminated uh, Barnes & Noble one? They introduced that. No, last, I haven't. Uh, last I wanted sometime. to try that one. Okay. I wanted to try that one, but I don't play in the Barnes & Noble space. Like, I did the original Nook. I think at one point I had one, or, like, I gave it to somebody. I was, like, like I bought it, and I was, like, here, it's a gift now. Like, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> you know? Like, I know that's terrible, but, you know, hey, I didn't want it. So. Oh, wait, like, uh, the but, old, old one with e-ink and an LCD? Is, it, is that the uh, one you're talking I think about? so. Yeah, the one at the, with the, the color display at the bottom. Yeah. Oh, man, those yeah, are... Yeah, that, that thing was intriguing. Yeah, those are weird. Um, I never, I never jumped into Barnes and Noble until I think the color or something. I reviewed one at some point. That's see, I think the Nexus Seven ate all of their cake. Like the next, the the previous Nook Color was this sort of like cheap Android tablet thing. The previous Kindle was the same thing. Now, I mean, the right way to do it is to just have it be a, a Nexus device. Yeah, I mean, you no, know, and let, the, let the Nexus Seven is it. just an order of magnitude better. Then the Nook tablet, the old Kindle Fire, and I'm assuming the new Kindle Fire too. It's just, and the Nexus Seven gets updates, right? Like that's <laughs> again, that's where the value is. Yeah. yeah, like it's 
especially if you're talking about resale value, which is something that it just bothers me that a lot of people worry about. I don't know why, but maybe it's just because I'm, I'm colored by the fact that I have to keep everything. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, for comparison or whatever. But, yeah, the, it's not going to have any resale value if it's running an old OS, right? Like, who wants that? Tablets in general I don't, know. don't have very much resale value just because, I, I don't know, it's really hard to sell tablets on Craigslist. Yeah. And you're in a you're in a market where there's like actual people buying and selling things on Craigslist, like not stolen. No, goods there's there's a fair amount of like stuff that's shady. stolen goods. <laughs> no, but like you're always telling me, so Vivek, you're always telling me about like here's this awesome deal, and I'm and then I go to my Craigslist, and it's just barren, or it's just like it's all cricket phones that have been flashed. <laughs> nice. Like that's all that there is here to sell. It's just like s- stolen things. So that's the awesome thing on my Craigslist in Tucson. <laughs> I ended up picking up a, a Nexus 7 off of Craigslist, a 16 gig brand new in box and everything for like 160 bucks. I was like, you know, wow. you, you just, you can't top that. That's a really good deal. And you didn't have to like go into a shady alleyway and the guy was like looking over his shoulder and like, <laughs> nah, I, I need I, to be near my truck in case the police come by. I met with the guy <laughs> at like the Safeway next to my house. This is like, it's just quick. That's it. That's brave. Done. That's brave. I sold uh, I sold my 4S to buy the unlocked one, and the dude was like, "Come into my car," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is like this is the last time that I'm gonna be seen alive." So I texted everybody, and I was like, "Here, I'm getting into this guy's car. Like, I need to sell my 4S. If I disappear, like, just like you get all my equipment or like computer stuff." But no, I got in his car. He was like, "He's like, I can't get out of my car because I have like my kids in here, and I'm going to like." Like, I'm taking them, and they were, like, babies. So I was like, oh, really? Well, the trust uh, was the other way. I'm pretty sure, like, I was surprised. Like, I fully, it was, like, a nice car. It was, like, an Audi A4, you know? Like, um, so I was like, okay, well, either I'm going to, like, just disappear. So he was just like, here's, like, a ton of cash. (laughs) But that's how all my Craigslist experiences go, is that I go against my better judgment, and then I just, like, narrowly avoid getting disappeared. Yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't get into random dudes' cars. That's not, yeah. even if they're babies in the picture. I don't think that's a good idea. I like straddled the outside. You know, it was very yeah, awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never always get all the way in. You just kind of like, okay. Yeah, it was just like my arms. So like, he could have like, I don't know. <laughs> this is a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so we have we're we're cutting running short on time, but we have a bunch of other stuff to discuss. Um, uh, let's say we pick two. Um. So you want to talk, Brian, T-Mobile acquisition, 1X, 1VX, uh, or the Nexus stuff. And then we definitely want to I think want we to need get... to have Vivek talk about Scuffgate. Yeah. So, so uh, in addition to Scuffgate, which, which one of those three do you want to talk about, Brian? Ooh. Well, we should talk a little bit about the 1X Plus and VX. Okay. Let's and, do that. Um, T-Mobile acquisition briefly. I mean, there's not a lot to say with the T-Mobile acquisition. Like, there are people who talk about this endlessly but to me it's all obvious so i don't know i mean i I didn't even really cover it which is probably just like i should have more i don't know i never (laughs) know whether the readers are interested can you you explain to to folks who aren't familiar what what happened who acquired so deutsche telecom is going to acquire metro pcs and basically this is um going to enable them to deliver more you know wider lte channel bandwidths in markets and again, Metro PCS will have a migration path uh, for their handsets to, to LTE. Like, it's just very exciting because, um, so what's happening is over the next couple of years, uh, assuming the FCC approves all this, 
um the metro pcs assets will become part of t-mobile like they merge into this new co company and um basically you know in the combination of aws that t-mobile is getting from the at&t failed acquisition and then the aws that's coming from metro pcs um t-mobile is going to suddenly have enough bandwidth to deliver 20 megahertz um fdd frequency duplex frequency division duplexing lte in some markets by i believe 2015 which is going to be awesome so you know and at present the other players are only doing 10 megahertz lte t-mobile's initial launch plan is 10 megahertz lte and then they're also going to have uh hspa plus on aws so two carriers of aws wcdma two carriers on pcs and this this like is all possible because they're getting all these metro pcs assets um so i mean it's just very exciting because t-mobile is going to emerge as a real big you know competitor they're talking about we're going to be a big publicly traded company we're going to be able to do battle with sprint better um you know metro pcs is moving away from cdma like metro pcs was first with lte uh but of course you know they're not as big of a player they were first with volte they already have volte so they're just moving away from cdma entirely and so it's just very exciting i don't know just to me i just anybody that can that's talking seriously about 20 megahertz frequency duplex lte gets gets me excited like i don't care what the cost is I, even though i know it, with t-mobile it's going to be cheap uh that just gets me very excited because we're talking about double with you know with the carrot with the ue category 3 device like 150 megabits as opposed to 70 megabits um no i'm sorry 100 megabits as opposed to if you move up to another category you can get 150 megabits basically you just go faster you add more resource blocks um so i think that's the long and short of it and yeah they're moving forwards with their modernization plan and they're also going to go the um remote radio head architecture route so they're going to put the they're going to put the base station on the top of the on the top of the cell site on top of the tower which is the same as what AT&T has done um and Sprint so now AT&T Sprint and T-Mobile have gone with the RRH remote radio head architecture and only Verizon's gone with the base station at the bottom architecture so i mean that's that's interesting as well but those are the big things i don't know um, what else there is to say what what do you think this does uh in terms of uh uh, a com- you know, where does it put T-Mobile as a competitor to, let's say, the AT&T and Verizons of, of North America um, or of, of the U.S.? Well, again, it makes them a big, it makes them potentially a very big competitor, uh, right? So, all you know, like T-Mobile doesn't have any LT at present. They just run DCHSBA+. Um, so as a result, this, if they, with all this AWS, they can now run... DCHSPA plus and LTE with in most markets no problem. And now they can run even they can run that even more. So there's there's a possibility to do even 15 megahertz if they're able to get the T Mobile, you know, as I mean the Metro PCS Metro, Metro PCS LTE band um to work in conjunction. So you can do fifteen if it's all adjacent, they can do fifteen megahertz. Otherwise they can do ten, ten and five. I don't know. It's just very, very interesting. They're emerging as a, you know, strong player, and for me, that's interesting because I want to see 150 megabit down downlink 
with with category four and twenty megahertz. Yeah. So, and you know what, that becomes a possibility. What's the time frame for 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 all this? You mentioned twenty fifteen earlier. Is is that being uh, uh kind of yeah twenty fifteen is the the time for the twenty megahertz to potentially get lit up um, or twenty fourteen depending on things or in twenty thirteen they'll have ten megahertz. There's a lot of these plans that aren't really final. It's been discussed. Basically, what I'm more interested in is the potential, you know, what's the path going forwards look like? Yeah. And, yeah, so I don't want to waste too much time on that, but that's, that's just very interesting. And it's even more interesting in an immediate, you know, sense, this PCS migration to H- HSPA+, because then you can get devices like the iPhone and bring your own AT&T device onto Metro PCS, I mean, onto T-Mobile or Nuco or whatever we're going to call it. And then, you know, like do a pay-as-you-go plan, you know. So we're starting to see this very aggressive um, third party emerge, you know, and I've sort of always wanted this, this player and they, they're becoming that player. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's really exciting. I can't wait for T-Mobile's uh, 1900 megahertz band to be co- uh, converted over to HSPA+. Like, you don't have any of that where you are? Um, in Seattle? Well, it's only in Bellevue, right? So it's in, it's in very specific pockets um, around T-Mobile's headquarters. Uh, I actually had a friend uh, post about it on Facebook. He was like, oh, man, we finally got uh, 1900 megahertz. Or I finally got 3G on my iPhone. And he's, a, he's on yeah. T-Mobile. And I was like, are you in Bellevue? Because we don't get it in Seattle, right? And he's like, yeah, gotcha. I'm, in, I'm in Bellevue Square, right? Or like a mall. Right, right, right near T-Mobile's headquarters. So they haven't gone wide with it yet. It's just there in very specific pockets. Yeah. I've seen testing. Like I got to play with it for Google I/O. That was fun. Of course, it it got loaded pretty fast. So all the new, all the new handsets can do WCDMA on PCS. All the T-Mobile ones that are new mm-hmm. can do that. So they they will roam over and load balance. So it's not like you're, you'll get the whole carrier to yourself. But actually, last night at like midnight, I drove out to some random place. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Where, yeah, so, so there's a Twitter account that's like UMTS1900 that's tweeting, like based on this crowdsourced map, where there are sightings of WCDMA on 1900 for T-Mobile. So one popped up, and I was like all excited, and I drove out there, and there wasn't anything. But I clearly found a base station. So, I mean, I don't doubt that maybe it was testing for a while, but it wasn't testing when I got there. So, oh, well. I don't know. We should move along, though, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, totally. Um, so, real quick, you want to touch on the 1X Plus and 1VX before we get to pick um, Vivek's brain about anodization? Yeah, so the 1X Plus. So, this is... I, we played, I played with the 1X Plus while I was at the uh, frequencies. I believe it's okay to say that. Yes. I, I saw other people saying that. Basically, the 1X Plus is um, a 1X with AP37 instead of AP33. So Tegra 3 AP37 is 1.7 gigahertz max single clock, so max single core clock, um, as opposed to the AP33s, which is 1.5 gigahertz, I believe, and then 1.4 gigahertz for all four, I believe. So basically, they get a nice bump. And then in addition... This is where we see, so for a long time, I've been going on and on about how there's everybody, there's this weird like belief in this space, the smartphone space that Tegra 3 
isn't compatible with LTE. I'm doing air quotes around compatible because I don't know what that means. Because it doesn't mean anything because it's wrong. Can I so, just say that I think you do air quotes at least once every podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I bet so. Because <laughs> okay, it's sorry. like, everybody's like, it's not compatible with LTE. Well, what does that mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, the interface <laughs> isn't there? Like, really? It's all just USB or HSIC. So whatever. Anyways, um... So that's not true. And finally, we have a device that proves me right, which is, I never doubted the fact that this was just always an illogical argument. But it has MDM9215, which I've been talking about forever. So this is, it has LTE. So both the LTE version of the 1X Plus that's global, the 1X Plus on AT&T with LTE, um, and the 1X Plus International with just WCDMA are all AP37. And the LTE versions have MDM9215, which is the same IP block as, it's, as what's in MSM8960 for modem. It's the same baseband as what's in um, iPhone 5. iPhone 5 is 9615. Um, but it's literally, so that part exists, enables you to do LTE because it's voice-enabled natively. They have the voice coder on there. And so, boom, there, there goes that rumor finally, which was just always ridiculous and an engineering limitation like you couldn't couldn't do voice without shipping an soc fusion combo so yeah so that phone is exciting and it's got a bigger battery and all the same stuff just like a spec bump i wish that it had external storage like that was my big when they when i first told we're doing a 1x plus i was like please tell me you added an sd card slot but there is no sd card slot but instead you get 64 gigs on the AT&T version. You get the option for 32 or 64 on the global and global LTE versions. And it's all the same 1X Plus, although they bumped up the front-facing camera, which is dramatically better. So those are the, those are the changes, and it's great. So, and yeah. did they announce pricing for the 1X Plus on AT&T? Um, no, they didn't, but I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't be like 199 because well, that'd be pretty cool, right? Sixty-four gigs for uh, on on the one ninety-nine, you know, with two-year contract. I think that's a that's a that would be a step in the right direction. Oh sure, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the current One X Plus is down to like, I believe ninety-nine or free or fifty dollars or something really low. Yeah. So yeah, and then and of course it the... will launch with four point one. Oh nice. Um, and then there's the HTC One VX, and what what's that? The 1VX is kind of a weird thing that we hadn't seen before, and I feel like that was just because it's an AT&T exclusive, and it's, it's like a 1V, but spec-bumped a bit, so it contains an 8930, which is the dual-core crate um, with Adreno 305 and LTE, the same modem block as 8960, the 9, 9X15 modem, and that's like a, it's like a 1V, but AT&T-ified and with better SOC. Nice. Like the, you know, the 1V is like 8x55. This is 8930. But it still has the 5 megapixel camera with image sense and the same optics. So we'll see what that's priced at. But I mean, it looks cool. I haven't played with it. Um, very interesting. It's kind of weird that AT&T did this instead of a 1S. You know, it almost looks like a 1S, but it's not. But it's a 1VX. So I feel like the V is there because it's like a 1V. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting device. Kind of a weird niche. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so, so that brings us to 
uh, Brian, one thing you wanted to get Vivek's take on, uh, which is just the scuffing that people are seeing on their iPhones. Yeah, which... specifically this, this, the anodization on the black model scraping off. Yeah. Okay. And I know, Vivek, you've looked into this quite a bit. Um, what's your take on why it happens and... and... I don't know. Explain it to everyone. Yeah. So, I mean, I was pretty curious when I first saw the the rumors because, or not the rumors, but uh, I first saw it kind of hit the internet that the black ones are scratching a lot um, because Apple is a company that has a lot of experience with anodization and painted anodization too, right? Because they've been doing colors and black and white and silver with anodized iPods and stuff since, God, the second gen nano, right? Which was five or six years ago. So it, when I first looked at it, I was like, it makes no sense. Um, so basically when I, when I looked into it more, I found that it wasn't just the black ones that were scratching. It was just with the black ones, the scratching is more noticeable, right? Because the base aluminum color is contrast really strongly with the, with the black, right? Whereas with the silver, you know, the base aluminum color is almost the same. So much harder to see um so basically how anodization works is that they oxidize uh part of the silver um and then they they inject a dye um and then boil it to seal the color in and so when they oxidize they they grow the oxidization from the material surface in both directions, right? So in and out. Um, so what this does, right, it, it oxidizes, you know, a decent portion of, of the thickness, right? You lose material thickness. Um, so, or I, I, I guess you lose structural material thickness. Um, so, you know, with, with the iPhone 5, the, the aluminum itself is, is very thin. Um, and you can see that when you, when you look at, um, like if you turn it around and see the plastic windows and then you see what's kind of on the edge of that, right? It's the material thickness is, yeah. it's, it's really, really thin. They've machined out all the, the majority of the material, right? It's all gone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just not there. Right. So, and that's also true of the, of the back, right? It's, it's very, very thin aluminum, much thinner than, than what you'd see on, you know, like a, a MacBook Pro or even like their older iPods where material thickness was easily like a millimeter, right? Uh, maybe even a bit thicker than that. Um, so I guess uh, what my theory is, and I, you know, I have been very trying to avoid scratching up my, my iPhone too badly. Um, but what I've basically realized is that, you know, they're only oxidizing a, a very thin portion of it because if they oxidized more, you know, you'd run into structural integrity issues, right? Like the, the metal itself being, you know, quite brittle or prone to fracture, right? Or failure. Um, so because they can only oxidize a, a very thin layer of it, that coating scratches off uh, correspondingly easier, right? And so if, like with the black ones, you know, it just, once, once a little bit goes, you're just down to the base metal coat, and, you know, now your, your black iPhone looks like, it, you know, you just, it looks like you've scraped off, you know, lots of it, 
where really you haven't it's just it's really really thin right um gotcha so so there's no real solution to this right like that's just that's just how it is that's the design decision yeah i mean it it really is um i i mean how 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 thick would you expect the anodization to be on a smartphone of a few hundred microns maybe more yeah maybe a few hundred microns would would probably be a little bit on the low side i would expect it to be a bit more than that but not much right because it's you know it's we're talking point x millimeters right for the entire material right um yeah, it looks really thin along along the edges. Yeah, it's, I think it's where I've noticed a lot of scratching is that like camphor. Yeah, like the well, camphor seems to be the the first place that it silvers. Like well, the, the way this started isn't... is when I was with when I was in um, Korea, I I got to look at Vince from Slash Gear, his um, his pre sampled phone, and he was like, "I've been using it this whole time, and I've been babying it, and look at these scratches." And that's when I was like, oh, God, I wish I could change my pre-order to white. Yeah, but the camphor itself, it's not, it's not anodized the same. Like, you, you see that the material finish is different, right? Yes. On the, on How the do they do that? Um, I think that's just a, a post-anodized uh, machining, I think. Oh, so they anodize, the, they anodize and then they do this, this, um, this cut I, for the camphor and then treat it somehow. Yeah. That would be my assumption. Because otherwise it would be like matte as well, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, gotcha. So, yeah. So, like, that scratches off really easy because that's, that's not even anodized, right? Like, that's just... Or I guess, yeah, it's not even really anodized. Um, it's just painted. And I've, in, in the course of investigating, I have scraped off decent portions of the, of the camphor. Um, the, things, <laughs> the things I do... Uh, for for this job you know i've noticed the other the other places also where it shows immediately are the little bands like the boundary between the plastic um isolation gap you know the antenna band Mm -hmm. and where the metal starts because that seems to be probably like there was a finger there or something or like the electric field was weird you know i don't know what what the deal was but that's where i've noticed it flakes off yeah a lot. and i i would also think that some of that is due to like uh just because there's a a difference in surface there so gotcha it, if you just accidentally nick it it'll it'll start there i guess um yeah. just because there's an edge right from the plastic to the metal um so so i guess the question is is i mean like i call it we i called it scuff gate earlier but really i don't believe i think there's a tendency for everybody to look for what's the big gate thing we're going to pimp up this time? Like ever since like previously it was antenna gate. This was the theme last time. Yeah. It was antenna, even though that was real, but then it was like battery gate. And then this time it's like purple haze slash scuff. Yeah. I I mean, mean, like mine hasn't been scuffed too much. I don't know. Like I can't, I mean, I've had mine in a case for precisely this reason. And for the record, I do blame you for, for swaying me towards the black one. I was going to order. It looked awesome. I was going to order a white one, right? And then I wouldn't have to worry about it so much. But no, <laughs> no. I mean, I. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, you know, these are the things you can't tell when you're looking at the demo units that are just like on the like the black one looks cool. It's like Darth Vader black. No, it like looks phenomenal. I black. love it. Um, yeah, it's awesome. But at the same time, like if if I wanted something that wasn't going to show aging, I would have gone for the white. Yeah. 
I mean, it, like it's. I don't know. I've I've found that it's at the very least resistant to like fingernails, like on the back, right? The back face. True. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the material thickness is is like it's it's thicker. Um, not by much, but definitely thicker. Uh, the guys that are that have keys and like end up keying oh it accidentally, you know, like that's yeah, you know, that's that's just your fault. Um, like it's. The the whole scuff gate it's it's real. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Like I I guess maybe because I understand why it happened. It's and fundamentally, there's no way around it, right? Like the 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 trade off would be additional device thickness. Yeah, or you know, if they were to put some kind of after like coating on it afterwards, um, but then that we know how Johnny I feels about coatings, though. Well, yeah, exactly, right, and that also ruins kind of the the feel of the material because it, it changes it. You're not touching bare aluminum at that point, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, post treatment and that kind of stuff, it just it it wouldn't be quote unquote the Apple way, um, if you will. So, you know, there there really isn't. Um, I get a case. <laughs> Which adds thickness. Which adds thickness. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right? Like, any, any way you, you, you slice this, you're, you're adding thickness. Um, um, a, a question. When you get one of these scuffs, um, obviously you're scratching off the anodized layer and you're leaving sort of the bare aluminium underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, but aluminium doesn't obviously become aluminium in the air. It oxidizes itself to aluminium oxide. So um, if you get a scratch, obviously taking off this protective sort of anodized layer, does that mean that there's scope for additional structural weakness the more scratches you get? I, not significantly. I mean, because you're already talking about uh, a part of it that's not structural, right? And it's um, like ox- or aluminum doesn't react to oxygen that strongly. Right, and so it's there's there's nothing that I've seen that would suggest that um, it would significantly uh, impact anything other than the look and resale value. <laughs> yeah, because it forms that oxide really quickly. Like I, I, the extent of my materials knowledge is build it's your telescope it. out of one material so that it expands and contracts the same. Which boils down to make it all out of beryllium and give yourself cancer. But um, <laughs> I have always wondered, with these Apple devices, what aluminum is this? Is this T6061? I, Vivek, do you know what it I is? I do like, not. Like my I MacBook has the softest aluminum ever. Like it dents if I look at it wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Because it needs to be machinable. Like what is that? Is that 50? Is that 5,000 series that's machinable? Like, no, I, I got to be in that class. So. Yeah, which is more machinable, like, because they're doing, like, crazy CNC stuff, aren't they? Yeah, but it's not that crazy. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, they, they have really, really precise CNC machines. Um, and, like, they're doing a lot of uh, post-machining um, metalwork, right? Like, you know, brushing or uh, anodizing and dyeing, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty involved process, but I don't think. Um, but we don't know what type of metal it is. No, that's always interested me. Like, if I could ask one thing, it would be like, "Yeah, what, what, what series of aluminum is this?" More than <laughs> you know, my biggest question with Apple, 
um, or that I would ask is actually about tolerances of various parts. Because that's always fascinated mm. me. Um, like the speaker grills. So they were talking about microns this time, right? Yeah. I mean, the speaker grills on MacBook Pros and, you know, this, it's, it's really, really expensive um, to get uh, parts made that small, basically. Uh, the tolerances that they have must be insane. Um, well, aren't these laser cut holes? Are you talking about the speaker grill like holes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, I mean, they're not they're not quite so fine on on this, but like if you look at a MacBook Pro speaker grill, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess whoever's on a MacBook Pro right now, um, it's you know those are really really fine holes. Um. So yeah, anyways, that's tangent. Those are some fine-looking holes. Yeah. You know what, you know what bothers me a lot about the iPhone 5 ID is that I know this is dumb, but the micro micro I mean nano sim like tray thing like nowhere near matches. Like I know yeah. we talked about this on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just like in no way matches. Like it is so far you can't even squint at it and be like, oh, okay, they kind of tried. Like, it was, no, it's, it was like, it's, this is completely different hue. Yeah, it's a, it's a different Just color like, entirely. what were you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not the only thing. You know, mine, my iPhone 5, I, I found out like two or three days in that it wasn't like the display. It, it clips in to the, like the entire, the front side clips into the, to the aluminum frame. And mine wasn't clipped in all the way. I actually really so yours was sticking out yeah a little bit so it wasn't wow I, I wish I had taken a, a picture I, I completely spaced I was like oh my god I what is going on um when I realized it but basically my 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 display was actually a little bit tilted because none of the three clips on top were actually clipped in so I actually you know took a leap of faith and I just pressed yeah, you snapped it back yeah, well, I mean I that's how it these are in. it's built like the it's built like the 3g 3gs with the like you you pop out the bottom two screws and then suction cup the front off. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You just did that, didn't you? Yeah, I did that for fun. Well, because I like to take them apart when I'm in, like, looking at them. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's how this one is built. Same as the 1X, by the way. Like, mm -hmm. I know people were complaining about the 1X. Well, 1X is... Like, you really just suction cup the front out. It's pretty similar to the sensation, except not re user removable, right? Kind of. Yeah. Well, it is sort of. Like, you can take your 1X... In your hands. I do this, like, I fidget with the 1X, and I, like, just pop the whole thing apart. Like, I've, I've, like it's very easy. You can just push down on the, like, bottom speaker grill thing, mm -hmm. you know, where the mic yeah, is. Yeah. Or I guess it's at the top, but I'm holding it so it's bottom. And then the whole assembly just pops out, and then it slides out, just like the sensation. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you can how do this it in your hands. Like, like, that's, that's how, yeah. And that's how this is built, too. Uh, yeah, but, I, but it's just... You know, they, they, had a, they had a decent number of quality control issues. Um, yeah. Well, Anand's button is busted, isn't it? Your, your home button? Really? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the, uh, uh, my personal device, the home button, if you just, like, press it lightly, it, it doesn't activate anything. You have to, like, really push it down hard. Huh. Which is weird to me because that was a big emphasis, apparently. Yeah, I mean, the, the like feel my, itself is My home is button different. seems way better. Um, yeah. Yeah, on the other ones I've used, it's fine. But, but on my personal unit, like the one I 
ordered through my upgrade or whatever. That was, uh, yeah, the, the home button's kind of busted on that one. See, I never know whether this is, like, something we should chalk up to these are the first runs or just, like, QC is going to get better. Or do you talk about this in the review? Like, my first iPhone experience, I got a bum camera. Like, my pictures were purple. <laughs> you know, like, so I thought it was just really terrible. I'm actually not kidding. I, the purple, it was like the skies were solarized and it was like looking at everything how I would imagine, like an acid trip. You know, like I've never, I've never done any drugs, but that's why I would imagine, like, just look through this phone and that's what it would look like. And this is like, I carried that around for a week thinking it was normal until I saw another one and I was like, wow, your pictures look awesome. <laughs> Yeah, Wait, and this was with I the mean, original two G, or like no, actually a three GS. The first one that I bought, like I'm gonna use this as like for me. Okay. So I, I think my philosophy on on all those types of problems is you always report it so that people know that there's a data point out there that this has happened. Um, yeah. The trick is to I, I see a lot of writers do this. They have something that impacts them, and they have no concept of like how widespread the issue is and whatever their first reaction is. I'm just gonna rant about it. And I don't believe that that's yeah. right, but I, I think that you contributing to the the general good by just saying, "Hey, this happened to me," um, and you know, posting if there was or wasn't any resolution to it, I, I think that's useful data. Well, you know, like the Wi-Fi thing, that's very weird to me too, because the like two days ago, I I, I thoroughly tested all the Wi-Fi stuff, and yeah. I didn't have. I just I don't know what problem people are talking about. Like Wi-Fi in general, reception is improved. The, the 5 gigahertz to 2.4 gigahertz handoff is how I would have done it. It's not very chattery, you know, like the Galaxy Nexus implementation, it doesn't have like um, any hysteresis, you know, um, what's a way of putting it? It doesn't switch back and forth a lot, it doesn't chatter. Oh, nice. You know, like when you're building a switch, you don't want it to chatter yeah. like, with the boundary condition. So they've done a nice job of making sure that when you go to 2.4 and then you like wander back, there's a pretty long time before you hand back to five. So that was what I assumed was people just like my Wi-Fi is terrible now. Yeah. So I think there are some issues that people always like sort of imagine or it's like your setup is terrible. You know, like <laughs> I hate to blame the user, but at some point, you know, I don't know what's changed. I mean, it's also but, tough. Like these are these are. Com I mean, it's a PC, right? It's it's yeah. uh, it's a PC in your pocket, and it's in all kinds of weird environments that that you know, lots of variables, lots of things change. Um. Anyways, now we've we've gone over the two hour mark, so I wanna I wanna end things there. Um, Vivek, thank you for joining. You I think added useful commentary, and and I think it was a good fit. Um. So as always, we will be back in a week talking about whatever happens between now and then. Uh, thank you all for listening. Leave comments, as always, in the uh, podcast thread that goes up. And uh, we'll be posting, uh, like I said, the next one in about a week. Take care, guys.